It's Ben Quam, one half of, I guess, hopefully your favorite podcast, Libations for Everyone. I just want to let you guys know that today's episode is sponsored by Balanced Naturals. Elevate your everyday with their award-winning CBD and THC-infused beverages and wellness. Balanced is a women-owned, vertically integrated cannabis company based in Northeast Minneapolis. And each product is expertly crafted, cruelty-free, and made with certified organic hemp and natural ingredients. Our listeners get 20% off with the code LIBATIONS20. That's L-I-B-A-T-I-O-N-S, the number two, the number zero. Shop now at Balanced Naturals. That's B-L-N-C-D naturals.com. And now, here's the show. And now, and now, what are we? It's 2023. We still have the the uh, pandemic raging, and I literally watch dudes not wash their hands when they're leaving the bathroom. Yeah, like it yeah. took it took us that little time to go back to I don't wash my hands ever, and men, it's just men fucking, especially oh. just hate washing their hands. I don't. Hey, do. There's you a, know the funny thing to me. This is the thing that always historically always never mind the pandemic, but the thing that has always got me is when you see dudes and it happens all the time pretend to wash their hands. You already turn the sink on. Oh my god! You're already standing in front of it, and wiggling your hands around. I see that you didn't do anything. Why did you just? Why are you doing the that? worst performance I've ever seen? You deserve a Razzie for this. In, on top of that, I also hate water. God, have you, uh, Peter? Have you ever been to Milwaukee? No. So there's a bar in Milwaukee. Uh, it used to be the sister bar of a bar that existed here in the Twin Cities, the Nomad Pub. So we had one here, and then they had one in Milwaukee. The one in Milwaukee is the original, and it's like a lot of things in Milwaukee. It is, it's older. It's got the old hardware in there. And um, it's got two basically like closet stalls for the bathrooms. So the sink for the bathrooms is in the bar. And it's the gra- it was the greatest crowd participation thing I have ever been a part of. Anytime somebody watch- walks out of the bathroom, the whole bar watches. And if you don't wash your hands, the whole bar boos you. <laughs> like the whole bar shuns you openly for not washing your hands. Love it. I, I would give anything for that to be a thing in every bar restaurant that I go to. We were at a barbecue place in Atlanta on the last day there a couple of weeks ago with my brother-in-law and his, his fiance. And we, they have the sink outside of the bathrooms, but like really far out, kind of like that, where it's in the room. And I said, you know what I love about that? You have to wash your hands when you come out because if you don't, everyone notices mm-hmm. that you walk right past it. So there's the same dynamic, except that was a little bit of like a game. people. T- Absolutely. <laughs> like there were, there were people, my favorite was the people that didn't, like that literally didn't know where the sink was. You'd see him walk out of the bathroom and kind of look around, and you can go one of two ways. Either you just, I don't know where it is, maybe Wisconsin doesn't have sinks, because I've been in some bars in Wisconsin that also don't care about sinks. So they're like, oh, maybe this is one of those places, and they're just going to walk, or they'll notice it. And so then everybody starts going like, oh, and then they'll cheer. If they turn turn around and they go, then everyone's like, yeah! And if they they don't, if they just walk out, then everyone's just, you're disgusting gross boo and man everybody gets in on it and then what i i hope everybody else does is they think about it the next time they're walking out of the bathroom like i don't want to get booed like isn't that sad a sad representation of our culture though yeah we're we're only good and clean when others are watching yes right like that's awful it's just like (laughs) god damn it that's really awful this is for your own health Yeah. yeah fuck it uh, freedom, something I don't know. Germs something, aren't real, something like that. 
was that host on Fox and Friends that said, I, I mean, I can't see germs, so how do I even know they're real? Like, I can't unpack how many awful things are loaded into that one sentence. What a <laughs> point. <laughs> exactly. Well, on, a, on a news show. Uh, hey, Peter. Yeah. Why don't you introduce yourself to what? our, to our hey, fine uh, listener? Hey, the I, third host is here. <laughs> I'm the third host? Fuck yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't what think I signed on for that. All right, my name is Peter Campbell. How might people know you? I am the chef owner of Red Wagon Pizza Company at 54th and Penn in southwest Minneapolis. Did you genie sprinkle him? You're damn right I did. Because Ooh, that I should know by now it's the pink button. That genie sprinkles, <laughs> that genie sprinkles sound is how I feel when that pizza comes out and it hits and it's just Mama piping hot. Mia. You're so sweet. There's nothing better than that. Yeah. Uh, Making it. That's literally the only better part is to make it. Having an incredible pizza joint in the neighborhood that I grew up in, the only thing that bums me out is that Red Wagon didn't open until long after I moved out of that neighborhood <laughs> because we did not have a lot of pizza options well, in the now 80s you do. and early 90s. And now, now you, yeah. It's rampant. It's, it's Pizzaopolis down there. Well, you got, so you got Red Wagon uh, opened, and then across the street, Cafe Mod, which then turned into Book Club. That took over the Kenny's Market that I used to shoplift Jolly Ranchers at. Mm. And then the Phillips 76 station that what wouldn't let kids in unless they had their parents there turned into Kalita, which also might not let kids in unless they're with their parents there. Mm. So <laughs> watching as, as I grew up, my favorite corner in my neighborhood also grew up. Yeah. And it's kind of nice. Like stuff I never would have gone back for for that any of the a, old places. That is one of the coolest corridors in the city. Just like that, that little area right there is fucking banging mm -hmm. it's then, a really fun neighborhood too and yeah. it's and it's everybody pulling together to make it happen whether it's the small businesses or yeah. the other operators danny's stuff on the corner colita and cafe Cerise, book club i know there's some sticky names out there and issues around that place and in general but i got to tell you the food's dynamite absolutely the people that are working there are wonderful folks they make great cocktails to this day um it's a really fun neighborhood to be part of and then you skip a little bit farther north, and you have the stuff on 50th and Penn. Um, also some great restaurants down there. Uh, Broder's is great for picking up some San Marzano's or something nice if you want to make something Italian at home, fresh pasta. I just love that. It, I'm always going to be biased. Like, yeah. when I close my eyes, if you said, where is home, I'm either going to answer that neighborhood or n Oslo, Norway. Those are the two places that I feel the most grounded. Yeah. Uh, not lying, literally today, I drove by the house I grew up in just because I wanted to, to dip over. That's awesome. It is a sweet neighborhood. And now, like, to hear that there weren't a lot of pizza options back in the day, I know 40 years now, Broder's has been going strong. Mm -hmm. At 50th and Penn, they're celebrating their 41st year, I think, this year. Um, Broder's was great, but you had to go to it to get it. Yep. And then we had... They uh, eventually had delivery, though. Yeah. Yep, eventually and then had we, had, uh, we had Lake Harriet, which is, I think, still there. Lake Harriet's still there. That was where Sebastian Joe's was in Linden Hills for many years. Moved over, as many people know, mm -hmm. to where it is now. Kitty Corner from the deli of Broder's Cucina Italiano, across, across the street from the Pasta Bar, mm -hmm. um, and right around the corner from Terzo. Uh, three wonderful restaurants from the Broder's families. And then you had Michelangelo's that existed for a while up there. 
that shuttered for what nine years nine ago. Years, yeah. No one knows what happened there. I'm total mystery. I also didn't know anybody there. No, I didn't know anybody there. There was some dude named Dan worked there that I thought was the owner, but anyways, they're gone. But then you had Mozamia that now shuttered at 50th of France. I've heard rumblings of a new pizza joint coming in the 50th France area. I'm not sure if it was real or not, so I won't comment too much. And then you've got uh, Ann Kim's wonderful restaurants of Pizzeria Lola and mm-hmm. uh, Hello Pizza, all right there. Not uh, to mention the national great Domino's. There it is. Also in Whoa. the neighborhood. Look out. Yeah. Dropping Domino, motherfucker. <laughs> that was my best ice cube, so, boys. So, Quam, the nice thing about you saying you're far away, even though you can easily drive over there, is uh, <laughs> Red Wagon's pizzas can be enjoyed anywhere. Correct. Can you can you tell us a little bit about um, how people can access your pizza if they are not Minnesotans? Yeah, if you're not in Minnesota or if you're... Further away, we do offer our pizza frozen. Over over COVID, I had an opportunity to, to be on a show with Guy Fieri. He did a Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives COVID edition show. And we realized pretty quickly that we didn't have any items for sale on our website at all. Mm. And everyone was at a stay-at-home order. And we knew that we were going to – we had we'd filmed the show on my wife's iPhone – and then we uploaded it to the Food Network, yeah. and we had 28 days from the shoot day to when it would air, which is fairly quick yeah. for them. Uh, and I turned to my peer group and the folks over at the Restaurant Project, some other friends, and said, I need a new website, and I needed to figure out how to pack and freeze and ship my pizzas across the country without losing my shirt. And we successfully achieved it. And so for the first five months, we did it uh, alone internally within Red Wagon, and that airing of that show on May 1 and the subsequent frozen pizza sales that took place on a national level after that really helped save my company. God, that's amazing. Over the early days of COVID, this predates all the PPP stuff and all the right. other stuff that came out in support. Uh, we were able to hire back eight people that we had let go and really helped catch us up. And then eventually uh, we got onto Gold Belly, which simply is an online storefront where we continue to sell our frozen pizza to this day. That's incredible. How, how, did, like, how many people were involved in the... the brainstorming of that being a thing because that can't be easy to translate something that's so good fresh into something that stands freezing and and then baking yeah you know i think it was my whole culinary team at the time and basically we had taken a restaurant that had 50 staff and dwindled it down to eight people um so it was the eight of us testing and sampling and then i would ship across the country i would ship it at very high rates to my friends in other states, I would drop frozen products off at friends' houses here in town, and then we just incubated over a three-week period, figured out what worked best, how to pack it, how to oh. send it out, and it, it, it took off, and it was great. And it still is a part of, meaningful part of our business. Sure. It was nowhere near how meaningful it was in May of 2020 right. when it was just a showstopper. Because here you have, at the time, everyone's joking about how they've finished Hulu, yeah. Net, they've watched all of Netflix. I got to the bottom of the internet. Right. So <laughs> those of us who were still working didn't feel that way. And it was bananas trying to figure out how to bob and weave and pivot. I hate that fucking word so goddamn yeah. much. Um, I don't know if you saw the smirk on my face when I said it, but <laughs> we all got a little tired of that one. Oh, my gosh. So tired of it. But we, we, we worked hard to figure it out, and uh, it, 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 it saved the business. That's just incredible. Is, did you see your in in your restaurant your popularity as far as pizzas go? Did that translate to frozen as well? 
Or did the, do the, does the at-home consumer want something different than what people who come into your restaurant? That's a great question. I would tell you that the predominantly the stuff that people are looking to order online tends to be the ones that they've seen on uh, the TV with, with guys sure, specifically. Sure. That makes um, sense, yeah. That's usually how people find us. Um, there's a lot of wonderful pizza out in the world. I mean, to give perspective, there's 70,000 independent pizzerias in the United States alone. Jesus. On Gold Belly, there's 400 restaurants total. Wow. Just to give you some perspective on like yeah. what's out there. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's a lot of wonderful products out there on the market. And so to be part of that and then be in that conversation has been really exciting and fun. But generally speaking, the people that are finding us on Gold Belly have seen us on the Food Network, and they're going to the pizzas that Guy has talked about or showcased on his shows. Yeah, that makes sense. That's did that did that link happen? Because I know two of the production companies he's worked with are based in in Minnesota. Did that come through that way, or was that just was it random that he stumbled on? So, he, he, as you can imagine, I think by the time they came to us, it was ten years of diners, drive yeah. and dives out there in the world, and it was in two thousand and sixteen when we got the call. Now, most of his production crew are are in the Twin Cities area, so I think that lended a lot to people finding us. Um, but it, it, we had a call that just came in the main line of Red Wagon. That's awesome. And their research team saying, hey, this is Megan from the Food Network. Can I speak to Peter? And that's how it started. That's unbelievable. The okay. best part about that, though, if I may continue this story yeah, just so, uh, a little bit here. By the sixth call, I now have a three-inch document that has words in it such as the Food Network retains the rights in all known and unknown languages in the universe. Wow. <laughs> and my dear friend Megan from the Food Network informs me that I ought not tell anyone that works at Red Wagon that we're discussing this. This is the sixth time she's called. Yeah. And Jesus. I said, I'm sorry, Megan, but you're calling a 50-seat restaurant in a no-name intersection owned by a no-name <laughs> chef in southwest Minneapolis and you're asking the server that answers the phone to speak with me, and you tell them that it's Megan from the Food Network. Yeah. Cat's out of the bag, yeah, the, Megan. Yeah. No I secrets. Sorry, Megan. I can't <laughs> undo that. <laughs> that's, that's so wild. It's, it's kind of crazy for me to know at one point, right around then, we had a Minnesota native that was, the, that was producing Andrew Zimmern's uh, Bizarre Food Show and then whatever his subsequent show was, right. and also a Minnesota team producing Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. So production side of food TV, stand up, yeah, be right. seen. Absolutely. Oh, and it's big. I mean, a- Andrew's production company, it's intuitive content. They're making a lot of shows out there right now. Patrick Whelan was just escalated to yeah. president. So oh, wow. some exciting stuff coming yeah. out of the cool. Twin Cities right now on TV. There, um, I, I'm not going to drop his name because I don't know how public this was, but uh, my friend who was producing for Zimmerman for a while was was actually really sad because he was so proud of the TV that they were putting out, but he had started as a movie producer and he finally had a project that had been near and dear to his heart for years, got greenlit, so he had to he had to walk away from it. Mm-hmm. But he's like, it was that was the hardest job I've ever walked away from because he really enjoyed enjoyed producing it and enjoyed the fact that. There was a home base in Minnesota too, you know, just made yeah. it easier. Let's uh, talk about what we're drinking. Yeah, is what oh, did we, we start? Were... Oh yeah, is it started? We're oh, good. Yeah. We're flying and seen. Look at us go. 
Uh, so that's we it. have all the credits. <laughs> Roll the credits. That's it. So I think what do we? We both Peter have. Peter was kind enough to bring cocktails for us. We were like, let's drink tomorrow. And then Peter showed up with a giant antique wooden box full of cocktails and uh, THC beverages. He was kind enough to pour me a secret tiger, which is near and dear to my heart, with Meteor being uh, a former client of mine and uh, good friends of the podcast. They were one of our first, two of our and a partner of Red Wagon, a partner of Red Wagon, which is why we are sipping upon beverages that are a tandem creation. Quam, you are drinking. I, I also have a secret tiger. Yes, it's no secret then. No, and I, I we have we have some fun backups. We have. Uh, we have a plethora of Amaro, Amari and bitter things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some side shooters of Malort. And then in addition to this, uh, actually, Peter, before we get there, do you want to talk about what the Secret Tiger is? Yeah, so it, the Secret Tiger is a tequila passion fruit cocktail. So good. That is made out of Meteor. Meteor uh, has created this drink. There's been a number of different iterations. I believe there's a rum one out there. We pour on draft the tequila version of this drink. It is dangerously good. Yep, spectacular um, drink. There's a few records that have been made. The most I've seen someone drink was just two weeks ago at our ice bar. Yeah. Um, thanks to Minnesota Pure Ice for encouraging me to build an ice bar because hot damn, boy, do people like sitting outside in the freezing cold drinking drinks. Hell yeah. I didn't think that was a thing. It is. Thank you, Minnesota. <laughs> they love it. It's amazing. It's so yeah. much fun. Yeah. Uh, blowing through Secret Tiger out there. Um, but uh, I forgot what I was saying. Okay, a couple weeks ago, you said you working saw on a record. drink a lot of them. Is oh, seven. Whoa. Okay. Seven at an ice bar. Impressive. Yes. Seven Secret Tigers. O- o- over five hours, though. I feel like after seven secret tigers, there can't be any secrets. That's no. just tiger. That's a whole pride this. of tigers. Do, do, do you still call it a pride of tigers? A pride. A, Must I don't know. Yes. Whatever. Let's say yeah. it's a pride I of tigers. It's pride of tigers. <laughs> also, great beer name. The pride of tigers. Yeah. Or, great cocktail. Or name. podcast subtitle. Ooh, there it is. Current front runner. And then, uh, uh, Peter, what are you sipping I'm on drinking. I'd like to state something that might be considered a bit. Uh, let's say, provocative. Um, I'm drinking one of my favorite drinks that most recently at my physical at Mayo Clinic, I listed off what I ingest on a daily basis. It was the nutritional element of my physical. And I listed how I eat, what I eat day to day. We're all habitual people most of the day. My day is a granola day. Usually lunch is chicken and rice. But I said for water... I drink the same thing all the time, and I wanted to know if what I'm drinking, which is what I'm drinking now, would it be classified in Mayo's standards as part of my water budget for the day? Sure. Ah. And they responded to the affirmative. Yes. That it would, in fact, be considered part of my water daily budget intake needs. Wow. But I am enjoying, and I hope you all really marinate on what I just said. I am drinking strawberry basil from BLCD, uh, and it's fantastic. THC, five milligram infused seltzer, zero yes. calories, yep. 
Zero sponsor. sugar. Spot, 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 so, sponsor. Their sponsors yours? Yep. Yep. That's Balanced, amazing. Balanced uh, is a sponsor of our podcast. So it's it's interesting because earlier we were talking about the fact that you would like to enjoy some THC beverages. We found out that we drank all of ours. Uh, I, I will admit, I, I left a couple of mine in my garage and they they okay. they distended. Okay. I, it was mine my fault. Cooler. That was a user error on my end. I yeah. thought my garage, it's a tuck under garage. I thought it would stay warm enough. Yeah. And this last cold snap, it got everything i lost a bunch of beers i lost a bunch of uh non-alcoholic and uh thc seltzers yeah but so. uh peter showed up with uh balance and yep. we were like fucking right that's one of our uh our our tandem sponsors yep. balance and foundry yeah i said blcd it's actually blncd yep. yeah balance it's balanced right. without, without the vowels i dropped the n but it's uh, the both companies. It's uh, two long time, long time, decades long friends from the industry. Uh, going back to before we started recording, we were talking about the different things I've used my voice for. Um, one of the gentlemen, uh, Gavin, started a Minneapolis Fight Club Underground, which was a MMA, a local MMA circuit. I didn't think um, we were supposed to talk about Fight Club. We yeah, well, that's what they said. But when we took it back. We, I mean, we sold out First Avenue. Uh, I was standing wow. in the middle of the octagon with a sold-out crowd at First Avenue. Can't say octagon either, pal. In a f- what? <laughs> <laughs> I was standing in an eight-sided <laughs> geometrical ring uh, in a full-on tuxedo with a mohawk and a chin strap and a lot of earrings and a lot of rings. It was a different time. It was a different era. Uh, but I always, I always loved his devotion to making sure whatever the product was he was giving people the best possible product was amazing. And then on the other side, um, my friend Beecher had a, an entertainment company uh, called V2 Productions, and they were the first people that I really saw putting out forward-thinking music and entertainment in nightclubs. And Beecher and I were fortunate enough to, to work together um, on some pretty huge events, uh, including bringing in Africa Mbata to the, sh- to, the, to the state. We did a lot of stuff together. And then he just said, I've had enough of this industry. I've had enough of the stress. I've had enough of staying up at night worrying if this was going to make money or be viable. And uh, he started this company and they started putting out just CBD stuff. And then they pivoted as soon. I mean, this has been years. And then as soon as the, the, the low dose. Peter, he said the P word. <laughs> yeah, they pivoted. They changed. They, they added on. Yeah. Um, and as shifted, soon as the, they shifted, yeah, and having their own lab in house, they were able to shift into the Lotus THC category really quickly. So honored to have them on as, as sponsors. And one of the best products on the market, in my humble opinion, no offense to, uh, the other ones out there, but I will say, uh, BLNCD is easily, I have one or two of these a day. Um, awesome. they're just fantastic. I yep. feel great. Drinking them, I, it's not overwhelming. It's mild. It's uh, a big part of my sanity. Yeah. Love and to stop in for a pizza pie and bring them a little drop ship. Oh, absolutely. That sounds like fun. Yes. We, uh, we love sending people with gifts, and they, they love giving them. And I love pizza pies. Mm, pizza pies. On that note, yeah, so let's we're, cheers. Should we cheers and get right into some? Oh, yeah. Boom. Cheers, fellas. Cheers. Welcome. Okay, so we're... Still talking about pizza. So, Peter, hot pizza, cold pizza, or something in between? Do you like them all, and do you have a preferred temperature? Great question. I will tell you that um, historically in my life of pizza, Mm -hmm. um, I was a big fan of the fridge pizza. 
Ziploc bag, all the leftovers still mm-hmm. in it from the night before. Uh, stove pizza from the night before, not a fan. Ooh. But fridge pizza from the night before, that was my go-to for yep. many, many years. Um, I will say in the last decade of Red Wagon's existence, it was 11 years ago tomorrow, the 1st of February of 2012, that I started Red Wagon. Um, so in the last 11 years, I eat hot pizza because that's the best way to eat pizza was when it's hot. Um, when I go to the restaurant and sit down with my family, Red Wagon, and I sit down with my family and order food, we don't take leftovers. Mm. Um, I know I probably should take leftovers. I also order appropriately, so there is no leftovers. But yeah. if there were an extra slice, I don't, I don't take it with me because, I don't know, pizza's different for me now. If yeah. I want a pizza, I just fucking make, yeah, make pizza. a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> want pizza? Get pizza. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a pretty, uh, if, if you're a fan of pizza and uh, you want to make it your life, it's a really good decision because then you always have pizza in your life. Absolutely. That so fantastic. do you never encounter cold pizza anymore? Not really. You know, yeah. it's funny. Just the other day, um, <laughs> maybe this will go on the shelf with too much information. Uh, I don't take a lot of time off for myself. And I took uh, Sunday off. And it was a no-shoe day. Ooh, I like that. I didn't leave the house and I didn't put my shoes on. I live across the street from Red Wagon, and so it's fairly difficult for me to ever not walk over for some reason or another, right. whether it's a frozen pipe or equipment wrong or someone's mad or whatever it is. Usually there's nobody. If it's someone's mad, it's usually someone either, anyways, car <laughs> stuck in the parking lot or something. Yeah. Uh, it's never a guest. Guests are always very, very happy. Um <clears throat> Did you just choke? Sorry. That was that <laughs> we were we were a couple millimeters away from a spit take. <laughs> I just had I had all of the insane customers I've had in my life flash before me in like a milliseconds at a time. I was Your eyes did roll back for a second. Yeah. Do you so. know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> I just um, downloaded that. So I stayed home on Sunday and I uh I had a slice of my pizza cold from the night before. My son had, had a cheese pizza with uh Fresh mozz on it, a bunch of oregano, one of my favorites. And uh, there was some left over on the counter. And I had started my day on Sunday with my first edible mm. at about 7.30 in the morning. Uh, and morning was, high is a fun high. It, so it was a, it was a no-shoe day. So it was an all-day gummy extravaganza. Beautiful. Yeah. So by about 11.30, <laughs> I was feeling a little bit peckish. Yeah. And I decided to uh, set aside my snobbery of only warm pizza. <laughs> and I had a slice of cold, which <laughs> quickly became two slices of cold. Yeah, of course it did. Of course it, it did. always does, doesn't it? Best thing that goes yeah. with a slice of pizza is another slice of pizza. Once you pop, you can't stop. <laughs> That's how we do it. <laughs> but normally, uh, go-to is hot. Hot pie. Yep. yep. I, uh, I, to me, it depends on the style. I am, I am a omnivore when it comes to pizzas. I like them all for different reasons. Uh, I will say that my favorite is that first hot slice, no matter what the style is. Mm-hmm. But then it changes. Uh, if it's deep dish pizza, like if we're at Pequod's in Chicago, I will keep going until I can't eat anymore, and then that's it. I don't care for How re- many slices is that? Well, Pequod's is nice because you can get a personal deep dish there. So you get a little guy, but it's completely surrounded by that, that charred Parmesan crust. 
uh, you can get that and a beer for like 12 bucks. Frico. So that's what the I do. So, Frico. Yeah, the Frico. Uh, oh, Frico. So Frico I love to, I'll crush that because I can eat that whole thing. No, no big deal. Uh, I do have a, a very good friend. Shout out to Rob Taylor, who is the GM of one of the Lou Malnati's there. And I mean, Jenny and I have tried, but we can maybe get two pieces each and then we're done. <laughs> but like a tavern style pizza or red wagon style pizza, mm-hmm. then number one is like the first hot slice and when it's still piping hot. And then my next favorite is the cold slice. And then my third favorite is the somewhere in between yeah. lukewarm. We've had a long conversation and I decided I'm still a little bit hungry. Yeah. That's, that's where to go with that. Detroit. I still don't love cold either, but I, I will accept it if it's in my fridge and I'm having, instead of a no shoes day, I like to have a no pants day. There are no no kids in my it's world. On, though. It's very. It's weird. like this podcast now. You guys said no pants. Yeah, right? I go. Yeah. This I is okay, right? That's how we do it. I Donald Duck it. So I got shoes on and a shirt on, <laughs> yeah. and then it's just all That's it's all free flowing down here. Uh, so, Donald Duck it. So, so we don't we don't we don't do a lot of don't do a lot of cooking when we're there, especially with the oven. I Sonic the Hedgehog. It. I just wear shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I just pictured you rolling in between your rooms now. Yeah. So and, fast. And just your, your poor rolling. pet's just staring at you like, oh, dad's on one again. Please make him stop. <laughs> but I do like, um, you know, if we're, if we get home super late and restaurants aren't open, we throw a frozen pizza in the oven. Uh, if those squares, because I always do the party cut for a frozen pizza. If those squares are still out the next morning because we just decided to crash out. Some of them are getting eaten before the rest of it goes in the garbage. Like, there's no way around it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush that. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. As long as it's thin, I will absolutely smash it cold, and it's almost as, as much as I like that first hot slice. But when you get that first cheese pull, and you're, like, you're questioning your sanity, you're doing the thing where you're, like, exhaling through your mouth because it's so hot, that is the best, that is the best yeah, feeling. You're fighting burns because you love it so much. Yep. That is the sign of, I always say that's a sign of food that you know is great when you're willing to burn yourself mm. because you just have to consume it. You got to get like, it. go, go, go. It's the worst though. Cause then you get that roof of your mouth blister. Yes. Unless that. you're an expert. Cause I think, I think I've gotten better at it. I for sure. Cause have. I eat crazy hot food, like temperature hot. Now, and I don't, that doesn't happen to me anymore. I'm wondering if I've gotten better at like the tongue acrobatics and the breathing techniques to not actually burn the roof of my mouth. You know what's funny? The last time I did that, it wasn't pizza because that used to always be what got me. I got myself with chili. Because I had, no. I cooked it well, down liquid. to a, a really yeah. thick consistency. Thick liquid. Yeah. Hot as th- fuck. I'm going to say a thick wood. That'll hurt you. Yeah. I, <laughs> it just stuck to everything, and my tongue and my breath mm-hmm. couldn't move fast enough. You realized so, it was too late? Yeah. Did so you then, have a moment where Adagio for strings played? Yeah. And then, and then right as soon as that was done, I just had, like, Spanish <laughs> moss hanging off the inside of my, the roof oh of my, my mouth. God. That, was, that was a little gnarly, but I, I'm, I'm normally pretty Stalactites? Yeah, we know the difference now. Yeah, exactly. We looked it up after we that episode. We looked it up. You knock it off. Uh, what, uh, Charles, how does your, your pizza habits go? You're right on about um, the style, and it's something I guess I didn't even consider when I posed this question. Uh, for like a, a, thick, a thick style pizza, so Detroit style or, or that type of pizza, I think Sicilian also is like the thick bread style. Mm-hmm. So it depends on the bread because if it has like a good fat consistency like a lot of olive oil in it then sometimes it is still okay cold the next day but usually i'm not excited about it and also the um uh uh, neapolitan slice Mm. can disintegrate completely as it sits in the fridge correct so it becomes like this tomato glue it's not very appealing 
But anything in between those two factors, New York style, the box cut, tavern, whatever, those pizzas cold, I absolutely adore. I would say that I like them just slightly less than the pizza being served to you the way that it's meant to be enjoyed. So you get your hot pizza yep. straight out of the oven, and it's, it's ready to enjoy. To me, it's almost like getting two meals in one. I like to do pizza math. I do the pizza calculator. How much are they charging me? And then I'll get the value out of it. Um, not that I'm qualm, uh, persnickety. Yeah, but I just it's my you know, favorite it, when he says it that. It doesn't make it doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes when you look at the math breakdown. Some places do like the specific breakdown, and some places it's like, why wouldn't I just get the big pizza? Yeah, and then you have some in your fridge that you can enjoy cold the next day, and it's like a different meal. Yep, that's the magic of pizza is that you're having two different dishes in one dish because while you're having it hot, it's one dish. When you're having it the next morning cold or later that evening or what have you, standing in the fridge door like Quam tends to do, drinking mm-hmm. some drinking some milk out of the gallon. Damn right. It's like a different it's like a different dish entirely. I agree. So I love both almost equally. And yes, I don't the, I, I'll say that like by far the least favorite is when the pizza's been sitting on the stove at a party and you're like, I'm still hungry, and you lazily grab the room temperature pizza slice. That was, I'll still eat it, and it still can be good, yep. but it's nowhere compared to cold out of the fridge or hot out of the oven. I couldn't agree more. Have you ever been at a spot that will guide you on the best second dish version of the pizza? No. I've had places that have suggested cooking techniques or oh, reheating sure. techniques, yep. sure. but never, they've never added anything to it. So, for example, from the two-meal variety that you suggested... For our banh mi as an example, which is a 12-hour sweet soy glazed pulled pork with cheese in the oven, comes out, schiff, cucumber, cilantro, ginger, pickled carrots, pickled radishes, jalapeno, mm. and a house-made crybaby Craig's aioli. Um, that pizza is dynamite hot, but it's almost better the next day. Yeah. Heat it up in a cast iron skillet. Ah, so you get the heat from the bottom and the cold on the top. Right. A little bit of water in the pan, clouch the, the, the pan to get, create that steam, and then lay down a, a uh, sunny-side-up egg on top of the slice. Yes. yes. Can, I, can I say something that's only mildly embarrassing? That okay. pizza is so good that it changed how I make my banh mis at home. Wow. So I have, uh, I was Why gifted. Why is that embarrassing? I don't know, because it feels like I'm, I'm pandering. I don't know. It's Minnesota. It's always Shame. weird. Shame. 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 Shame for liking Shame. what I do. <laughs> yeah. so I hate you, Ben. I, um, uh, I was gifted a cookbook years ago. Yeah, by aren't men w- supposed to neg each other? We're not supposed to lift each other. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm a lift up person. Yeah. Pizza's, pizza's pretty good. I mean, you know, I had it Fuck 19 that. times, but whatever. Yeah. We'll see if 20 How is that? Out. Can we circle back? I hate that statement, circle back. Can we talk about this idea of why people say things like pretty good as like <laughs> yeah. that? It's pretty good. Like shocked, mm. like that's a like that's a compliment. Fuck sometimes you. it's yeah. a nice way of saying something sucks too. Yeah, exactly. Right. In Minnesota speak, sometimes it's like if you don't like something, you say, yeah, it's pretty. I good. got a good story about the pretty good thing, but finish your bond meeting. Yeah. So I I was gifted a, a beautiful um, Vietnamese cookbook uh, by a friend, which is actually more. He's a Vietnamese chef. It's more uh, Southeast Asian flavors, kind of all together. Sure. And uh, we used to run a special at our restaurant. That was a, a banh mi with, a, with a, a roast pork loin that was directly out of that book. It was absolutely spectacular. I loved making it. And uh, I was with a friend, and 
he just was like, you know what? I just, I want a good pizza. So we went to your restaurant and I had that pizza and it clicked in my brain. The one thing that I hated is when I would make that pork tenderloin, it was beautiful when it was coming right out of the oven and I'm slicing it, putting it on there. But within a day, there's so little fat in a pork tenderloin that it would get dry, like no matter what I did. And so I would get kind of close. I would do like a, a Shaoxing cooking wine, a little bit of rice, wine vinegar, a little bit of lemongrass, and I would like steam it back up and that kind of helped, but it wasn't great and I could never solve, like I basically I end up throwing this away every time or I chop it up and I put it into fried rice. That's about the only options that I have with the rest of this pork. And as I was sitting there like spacing out and just staring at the slice and eating it, I'm like, hey, dum-dum, do the exact same recipe, but do it in the pressure cooker and make it into pulled pork. And it's perfect because then you have that nice sweet and savory and a little bit of citrus all in there. And then I can use that. Um, We've done twists on nachos before. We've used that just to make like a straight up pulled pork sandwich. Are you still using pork loin though? No. Then I switched to pork shoulder. Yeah. So you're basically making like a balsam and then turning that into a banh mi. Like shit ton of sweet soy sauce, ton of fish sauce ton of lime juice, salt, a little coriander, and then a bunch of lemongrass. And I throw onions in there. It's like a sami. Yeah. Sammy. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> the sami. Oh, there sami. it is. All right. Uh, and yeah. And so, and, and that, it, it's been great. I actually, it's easier to eat. Um, fun fact, we've, I think we've talked about this on the show before. My front teeth don't touch because my front grill is fake. And uh, the cost of updating it so that it's bigger. A, I think I might look weird. And B, um, it's really expensive because that's a cosmetic choice, not a, a need. Sure. So I basically have to pay for all of it. That sucks. Mine don't, so, mine don't touch and they're real. Oh, yeah. See, there you go. So, so sometimes if it was a thicker cut on the pork tenderloin, it was actually hard to like push your teeth all the way through. So I'd have to eat like the whole giant chunk. So it's made it easier to eat for me as well. And then with, with uh, a little bit juicier pulled meat, it mixes in with that pate really well on the sandwich. And it's just, it's awesome. So literally that, that pizza inspired one of my favorite things that I make in my house. Awesome. To change and get better. Now back to, fuck that guy. What were we talking That's about? a pretty good story. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, this is good. Yeah. So I'll set the stage. Years ago, and often... It's been a while since I've been needed this way, but uh, you have been flow with the skill set in the kitchen, mm-hmm. right? And for a while there, there was a long stretch where I was in the kitchen every single night, and whether it was six hours on the spin table. So this particular evening, I'm on spin. So I'm, I got a, I've got some flour on me. I've been spinning out skins all night. And I go behind the bar, and I start washing my hands, and I start talking to the guests in front of me. They may know who I am. They may probably don't know who I am. I'm just, I just look like a guy in a white shirt with an apron on that's covered in flour. Mm-hmm. And I asked the guy, hey, so uh, how, how was everything? And he looks at me with this, like, really big, bright eyes. And he goes, you know, it was, it was pretty good. <laughs> it was pretty good. <laughs> okay, so he did it to the affirmative. To the affirmative. Yeah. And I turned and I said, well, holy shit. Are you kidding me? <laughs> pretty good. My entire life is pretty good. I, I cashed in the 401k. I built out the whole fucking place. I risked my whole fucking financial future, my life. <laughs> pretty good pizza. We did it. 
We did it. That's where you pull the we cord. We were going for pretty good, buddy. Did you, did you LeBron the flower? Did you jump up on the counter and LeBron the flower? <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm hoping is that you, you pulled a string and like one small sign opened up and then one sad balloon uh, just came down. <laughs> it's a pretty Blah, good. So it's literally, so, and the guy, I mean, I think if I would have said this to anybody, I, for some reason I can say the craziest things to people at the restaurant and they, they, they don't get mad. Um, anybody else would have said this and they probably would have gotten pissed off. This guy started cracking up. You know, yeah. It's hysterical. Yeah. My reaction, he's like, no, no, no. It's amazing. I don't know why I said pretty good. Why do we say that in Minnesota? Yeah. It became that conversation uh, uh, very quickly. Um, but then it did not stop us from creating bumper stickers that simply said pretty good. It's oh, what we're going for. Love it. Good. Because it could be to the yeah, it could be a positive pretty good, or it could be depending on the cadence of the voice. Right? Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty good. good. <laughs> it's like good, or it's like, yeah, pretty good. Yeah. It's like oh, I hated fuck. it. It was shit. <laughs> I mean, we have we have all of that. We have the like, hey, how you doing, man? Could be worse. Like you're literally saying like <laughs> things could always go badly. Like I'm I'm telling I mean, you right now, they're not awful, we, but they could be right. So literally, uh, as if people say, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, but, no, but like no, but yeah. That's no, no, my yeah. other favorite. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Well, here's to pretty good pizza. Cheers, guys. Pretty damn good pizza. <laughs> Cheers. All right, now I have to ask you before we ask the next question. What was the what's the bottle that's next to the secret tiger? Um, fuck me. Um, I can't or see it. I could just go over there. Uh, it looks like either Negroni or Old Fashioned. Ooh. I brought a liter of each. Oh man. Oh, and God. Jackie had strict policies. My wife said that we must drink everything before she picks me up. I'm going to get taken home in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> Plus, we're already drinking tomorrow, so this is going to be fun. <laughs> hey, we got a fresh cube and a fresh glass, for heaven's sakes. We're, oh, yeah, we're it's uh, okay. half Neanderthal, half uh, fine dinos. <laughs> I uh, I chose Negroni, as we have lots of bitter flavors around here. I think that ties in pretty well with right what my drinking future may be. But that is a gorgeous color, man. Is that pretty? That looks like a fine Negroni. Tis tis tis. Saquam, I believe you. That's are my favorite. Up. The Negroni. I have a special spot in my heart for Negronis. I have a standing meeting with Same. Charlie Broder every Friday at four o'clock. Oh. We get together, have a Negroni at Red Wagon. Oh, that's great. Some days he can make it, some days he can't. Some days others are join. Um, it's, I don't know, it's like my one-hour break that's of the awesome. week. That's I mean, that's, that's, that's sad that that's your one-hour break, but that's awesome that you Oh, gosh, that. it's not sad. I, don't, I think there's this big problem with our uh, hospitality profession where we tend to um, martyr ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, Guilty. And I'm learning a lot about that working with Salt and Row. I've been working with Allison Arth recently on leadership and development. And uh, this idea that we martyr ourselves because of the life we lead. I make conscious decisions to work every day because I love what I do. And sometimes it's really hard. Yeah. But most of the time, every day, it's a world I created. Great way of framing it. Here, here. Yep. I'm I mean, not the, the context. The context is critical because that can be the case for a lot of us. And there's few things people hate hearing more than how busy someone is. But there are few things that people like to say more than how busy they are. But right. sometimes there's what's lost in translation is that they're not necessarily martyring themselves. They're just saying, "Wow, I've had a lot. I've had a really busy week." But framing it in the way that you did, contextualized, yeah. 
what you mean when you say like my one hour break or I'm super busy. It's because you fucking love what you do. I do. You're doing it willfully. You put your shoes on because you want to cross the street. Well, sometimes you have to cross the street, but a lot of the times <laughs> I bet you put your shoes on because you want to cross the street. Ninety nine percent of the time, I do. Good. That's a good number. Yeah, I, and I'll just admit I haven't always made that choice. So that was I've done a lot of things that I didn't enjoy doing because of a fucked up sense of loyalty or a fucked up sense of I'm needed. Like my brain conjures up all kinds of different reasons, and one of the things I've gotten better at as I've gotten older is trying to pick the things that I really want to do. Yeah. Uh, now my only problem is trying to figure out which ones I want to do more because I kind of want to do everything still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think you nailed it, though. Motivate, what, what motivates us in what direction and why? Absolutely. Yep. And is it's it got to be... Is it got to be work. Yep. You, gotta, like, you have to think about it every day to make sure that you frame it that way because, honestly, like, thank you for saying it like that, Peter, because I'm going to say that to myself in the car mirror at some point in the next couple of weeks. And it, you just have to remember that while it may be hard today, I'm doing this because I love this. Yeah. And that's a great way to look at it. So, on that, uh, you mentioned Guy Fieri earlier. Uh, we all in this room have interacted with and uh, dealt with content and the actual humans behind some of the quote-unquote celebrity food side of things. Um, I think we can all agree that it's never, reality is never quite as the show shows. But given your experience, uh, and then Charles, like our experience just in this scene, um, Peter, what do you think, what do you feel like people maybe don't understand or you wish more people knew about how all that process works or working directly with Guy or anything like that? Oh, uh, what an interesting question. I don't know that there's anything I wish anyone knew about it. Um, I do think it's an, there's an interesting reality around Guy and his reputation in the culinary world over the last 15 some odd years for a long times it was which camp are you in are you a guy guy or are you a Bourdain person right Mm, and you couldn't be both heaven Mm. forbid because one suggests that the other shouldn't exist correct um I think that the hospitality profession is is one that is very difficult um, in general. Uh, and I, I don't know that Guy's always gotten a fair shake because he has this uh, presence to him, you know, a very, very like, gregarious and big presence to him. Um, and I, I guess the most often, the most common question I get is is he like that in real life? Uh, and the answer is yes and more. Uh, he's arguably one of the kindest people I've ever met. Um, he could have stopped doing what he's doing years ago. Mm-hmm. He's made his money. He is doing well in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could ride off into the sunset and leave it all behind. But he knows the impact that his shows have on small operators like mine um we all and and i can speak for restaurants like mine we open the doors 50 seat restaurant no name intersection we flip the light on we unlock the door and we hold our breath and we hope someone comes in the door and luckily they did when i opened in 2014 the brick and mortar uh, and they came to see me at the farmer's market in 2012 but the reality is we just we 
we don't all don't get to have big articles written about how we're opening and where we came from and the James Beard Awards and this and that and all these different accolades. A lot of us, most of us, just have a vision for a deeper, more meaningful connection with the people in our community, and we try to achieve that, in my case, through hospitality and cuisine. I do it through pizza, and I did it by flipping on a light and unlocking a door. What Guy did was he started to tell my story on a national level, and it got people excited to pull that door with an expectation in their hand. And so the wonderful thing that Guy did for me was start that conversation with my consumer before they pulled the door. That's amazing. So is he more Bourdain? Is who, who, you know, that whole argument of are you more of a Bourdain guy or a guy guy? Yeah. You know, the reality is, is that it's not mutually exclusive. It's exactly. Guy is out for be, cooks. Right? Guy is out for cooks. He did more for the hospitality profession in the first 60 days of COVID than the federal government did in the first year. $22 million he raised in the first two months. Shit. $22 million. And yeah. you know what you needed to do to get a stipend from that? He'd cut you a $500 check if you sent him a copy of your pay stub that showed you were out of work. That's 500 bucks, no questions asked, sent, boom. $22 million he raised. Super he didn't have to do impressive. that. He could just hang out at his ranch, <laughs> watch TV. He could have finished Netflix and all the other Netflixes yeah. and all the other countries that are airing Yeah, Netflix. he could have had a no-shoes year. Exactly, but he doesn't. He's out there, and he, he's, he's hustling, and he works his ass off, and he does it for people like me. For other operators it's also like important me. to point out that he has a lot of charitable con- contributions yeah. that are not uh, food service involved. Like he's a yeah, he's a great contributor to a lot of charities. He's it's something that like he didn't. Well, the interesting thing is he's the type of person that didn't talk about any of that stuff. And when he was like, he wasn't waging war with Bourdain. It was more Bourdain just didn't really <laughs> care for his brand of. Um, um, food television. And let's let's just be but, fair. Like as much as I love him, Bourdain had a pretty long list of people that he didn't like. Of course, yeah, mostly Food Network people. Yeah, you know. But uh, the reality is that guy didn't go out of his way to shine a light on all the great things he was doing to combat the the vitriol that was coming from not just Bourdain, but a lot uh, from many mm-hmm. directions. Uh, but the guy has done the guy literally has done a lot for food service and beyond. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's nice that he's, he's getting credit for it modern day. Like people, people are more aware of his contributions now. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, and you're contributing to that. Like people understanding what he's about. Charles, from, whether it's from the content side as, as mm-hmm. far as like what you do to brand things. I mean, where, where do you sit on all that with the, the celebrity chef culture slash programming? I didn't know. Originally, I didn't know how to frame this because I've, I've, certainly worked in various capacities like via my creative services and consultation company with chefs, bartenders. Um, I have a history working with um, athletes, things like that. And then I was thinking, I'm going to frame this up talking about like food photography, but that's kind of silly. Actually sitting here, I realized that the way I can frame it for talking about content creation is this production what we do here at Libations for Everyone. This is episode number 73. We've had a lot of great chefs, restaurateurs, cocktailers, bartenders. Present company included. All sorts of, yeah, like just a massive array if you just peel your finger down on the podcast right now and, and look at everyone that we've had on. If you're not a completionist and haven't listened to every episode, and how dare you do that? You better do the fucking side quests. <laughs> I swear to God. Dude, they're the best, the best, yeah, the best <laughs> missions are the side quests. Duh. But... 
I think that an important thing to impart regarding like what people should know is that uh, you hear us conversing on these productions with very real people. And what we effort to do is to show you who they are and by extension, who we are as human beings, Mm -hmm. not as uh, mascots for the businesses, whatever they may be that they represent. And what you should know is that they're very much those people when the mics are off as well. Every time someone comes, they're the person that they are before, they're the person that they are on, and the person that they are after. And it brings us great joy to be able to experience who these people are in their hearts, souls, and minds on a broadcast and also to get to know them independent of this. We've said it before. If this recording went nowhere, if the memory card didn't work, which has happened before, we don't even still... say it, dude. I just, <laughs> I literally just got a cold he looked sweat. Down, he looked down and was like, oh no, oh no. God, God, uh, God, God, God. But we've, you know, we've said it before. <laughs> Did you genie sprinkle us? No, he didn't. He didn't. <laughs> Almost. He was close. You can. If you feel like it's necessary, just hit that pick button. What's the yellow one? There are know. so many. Let's find out. There are so many. Uh-oh. Oh, that's the applause. Oh, thank you. Wow. That <laughs> oh boy, Charles. You tell him. You tell him, Steve Dave. <laughs> so the point that I'm making is that um, we're, we're privileged to be able to have these conversations with, like, very real people, and we're happy to present all of these human beings as human beings and get to learn a little bit about who they are as human beings, often in real time as we're recording uh, in the same way that you're learning about who they are mm-hmm. by listening to our podcast. So I guess that would be the thing that I want people to know is that these are very real people with like values and lives and um, vulnerabilities and they can be happy and sad. And it's super cool for us to experience like this understa- this mutual understanding with some that we know well when they come on mm-hmm. and some that we get to know for the first time when they come on. I, you know, I go back and forth on which, which I like more, too, from that. Yeah. Because it's great having people that I really love and appreciate get mm-hmm. to express themselves on here. But I'm also just fascinated that we get to, like, make friends with strangers. Yeah. Basically, in real time. I'm just glad you opened the door. I didn't know if yeah. you would let me in. Yeah, it's like, oh, great. Whoever was supposed to be on, I've they canceled. I'm glad guy. to be here. <laughs> it's warmer in here than the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, just a little. Yeah. Barely. I, uh, I I love it, continuing in our fashion that has gone on for for dozens and dozens of episodes. I had multiple answers, and you managed to steal two of them at the same time, which is <laughs> which is perfect. Okay, um, but uh, I'm I I will say that it's I'm, just like a fantasy football draft. I actually pat myself absolutely, on the back dude. I, as well, you should. You snipe me on every turn of every yeah, every no round. What side of the snake you're on? Exactly. You see uh, a new button that says what he said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah what what. what Charles said. Yeah, that's it. And it's his voice too. Yeah. Well, just, he just goes said, to that's what Charles said. That's what Charles said. Uh I I I uh I got to work in real time with a chef who had just returned from Top Chef and we opened a restaurant together. And um I, I guess that was that was part of my point too was if you took the, the thing that I learned from from her after her experience and then as we watched the show. Um, and she was really good about not giving any details out until she eventually got, got voted off. And then she kind of opened up about, you know, some of the episodes and, and all that was if you imagine like when you're watching a show and you decide you really like, or you really don't like uh, a person, if, if you're one of those folks, 
Think about if somebody filmed you for a day, two days, or a week, and they had to they had to chop it all down to half an hour of digestible TV content. Who would that person be? And I think it's really easy for us to judge who we think they are as what's been presented to us by editors. Yeah, and and that sucks because the fact is there's so much more that that goes into all that. But because restaurants seem very confusing to a lot of people that aren't involved in the industry, but TV is easily digestible, so that's how a lot of people get to know what happens in a quote-unquote restaurant. And I think that that's really dangerous because it, it teaches people some of the wrong things for sure. And I've even caught myself, like I will admit, some of the, some of the ways that Guy's team goes about naming things in their own restaurant, I don't love that style of like donkey sauce, punch your mouth in the fla- with flavor. That's just I don't enjoy that. But that I just maybe wouldn't go to the restaurant. But that said, I mean to to bring it home to somebody in town here when Justin Sutherland had his boating accident, the first big charity that I saw was guy stepping up and throwing like a crazy charity uh, dinner with all these different chefs coming in to his home to his home. Yep. Where he lives. To raise money for Justin because he heard the story and knew that that was a good guy. And that's the stuff that just because it doesn't happen in that half an hour of content or just because somebody is a villain on a a Top Chef or a Chopped or whatever, that that has nothing to do with with who they are as people. And I think we all have to do that with, with any sort of celebrity culture is remind ourselves that these are all just normal humans who go about their entire day the same way that everybody else does. And it's just what an editor in a different city in a production booth decides to chop together as the most entertaining content is what we put out. Yeah. And that's, that's a tough distinction because I, I don't think we talk about it that much. And for how much food TV has taken over just in, in, in our lifetimes from really almost nothing right. outside of some PBS uh, shows with like Jacques Pepin and reruns of Julia... You know, like to where it is now, where there's multiple networks devoted to only that, and major networks also now devoting prime time to any sort of competition show. The the point, it's almost like it has nothing to do with the actual humans there. It's how can we pit them against each other in a way that gets entertaining conflict. A hundred percent. I mean, I'm I was just recently asked to be part of a Good Morning America pizza competition that's being nationally run. They're doing a live telecast on the 15th of February. Oh, really? Here in Minneapolis. Yep. Where I'll be competing against another person yeah. on ABC. Okay. Morning show. Oof. Seems bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> I like, mean, I'm excited to be part of it. Yeah. Wildly excited to be part of it. But, I don't know, to your point, competition shows are everywhere. Yep. No. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that. It's like... Is somebody expressing what, what good food is to them? And that, that's, that's what you should be judging. Not- well, I love those shows, but I think uh, you're, the point is important that you need to frame that it's a competitive. They, they're going to produce it to look competitive mm-hmm. regardless of what's actually yeah, happening. exactly. You're not seeing everyone on Top Chef sitting around the bonfire having, you know, this nice evening together. They're going to show you when someone throws their pot of clams or suspects that somebody stole their sriracha. Yeah, I mean? that's, yeah. That's yeah. the shit that they want you to see. Cause it well, that won't be the- happening on Good Morning America. I'm but. hopeful that Jeff Rogers <laughs> from Rectangle Pizza takes it. I hope he moves on to New York to win the whole thing. 
I'll be excited to compete against him on the 15th. But if that motherfucker oh, steals yeah. your sriracha, awesome. it is awesome. Cut a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As As your, wait, like, hold on. Are you holding your... I thought you might be holding your ice pick. The ice pick. <laughs> that would have been amazing. It's like, whoa, it's too real. Yeah, it's it is. too real. I, I do have to admit, you are the first guest who came in with both an ice pick and a pocket knife. I did, I did enjoy that. And then and you made, holding the, you made sure that we saw them both, too. And he's holding the corkscrew, so he's got, he's like Edward Scissorhands over here. This is what you have. There it is. This is, this is, this is what everyone walks around with. Is that the, it, just, is that the length of your patience right now? No, it's, it's a pocket oh. tape measure. Yeah, pocket tape measure. Because I never have one, and I'm always looking for one right and now. And you got a lot of pockets. I have one in my car. So I have a tape measure, a uh, ice pick. Who Eric Eastman should be carrying this? I don't know what I'm yeah. doing carrying it. I showed it to him, and he was kind of like, "That exists? Holy shit!" <laughs> uh, which I, of course, immediately went on to Amazon and bought another one. But and a, and a pocket knife. Uh, bizarre things in the pockets are. <laughs> yeah. How many more things do you have in there? Yeah. We're probably gonna uncover a few more as we go through. Pocket full, a handful of doubloons. Some loose jewels. My joint wallet. There you go. All right, well, cheers. Let's, yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Boom. Great question. That was a heavy one, man. We're always just trying to find stuff that is fun to talk about and, and hopefully fun to listen to. So here's, a, here's what I think is a pretty fun one because it's something that I think we kind of latently fantasize about, either if it's somewhere we're traveling or somewhere we had family from. But, Peter, if you could have grown up anywhere else of your choice, where would it have been? Wow. And that's a deeper question, too. Like, if you want to ponder that for... for yeah, that's a really deep question. I'd like, I'd like a couple minutes to marinate on Certainly. that. Because I struggle. I really am very happy with the life I live today. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't do anything differently in my life so far. Um, I can't imagine the version of me that didn't have the experiences that I've had. Correct. To yeah. be where I am today. So from a geography perspective, I mean, would it have been interesting to grow up in like Uganda or Chile or Switzerland or Naples? Sure. But I mean, that would be just me throwing a... A, a dart at a map. Um, I think it'd be cool to live in Northern California, mostly because yeah. that just looks gorgeous, and I want to investigate and learn more about Northern California and mm. Oregon and Washington. Right. But that's more of my de- my desire to travel than it is uh, a thought of being from a, that place. Um, I'm, yeah. Is that an appropriate answer? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So no, <laughs> no. <laughs> the answer is no. I would not. no. I can't think of any other place. I mean, I don't know how we would be able to pull this off, but if I can say with the caveat of I, my life still turns out where this is as an adult, I just had different experiences as a kid. Um, I really, I think one of my favorite feelings on Earth is feeling how insignificant, in the best way possible, I am when I'm looking at a mountain. Um, I feel like there's a lot of ways to just sort of like clumsily push people into two categories but I, I think that uh beach people and mountain people I think that's a very real thing I sure. I don't feel comfortable or relaxed just sitting on beach a beach for days on end but I absolutely could go hiking in mountains for days or sit in a cabin and just look at mountains for days on end and not feel like like I was lost at all yeah um so wherever that would be whether it was 
you know, Colorado or where in the village where my family is from in, in Kvam in Norway, I would love, I would love to have grown up staring at something that made me feel small and, and part of something so much bigger. Um, I've, I've felt that way as long as I can remember. And I really, it, it doesn't change. I still feel like a little kid when I see mountains for the first time because I like being so small and insignificant in the grand scheme of things. I think that would be really, really amazing. I could get, and then all the things that come with it. You know, you still get four seasons. Usually if you're looking at mountains, you get, uh, you know, warm summers, you get cool winters, you get snow, all that. I, I, I could definitely, I, I could see that being a, a thing. I also, I also think it would have been really fun to grow up in like a huge city. Because again, it's the same vibe. You can vanish. You can be as insignificant. You can fold into a crowd. And uh, I, don't know if, I, I don't know if it's just that I've always lived in a, a smaller city or the fact that I'm larger than most people. I just really enjoy whenever I can vanish. It's a great, it's a great feeling where I could just move about and nothing in my landscape would, would matter to me. So for very, very similar reasons, it would have been cool. I also think if I had grown up in a city, I wouldn't have had such a closed palate as a child. I just did not, I didn't eat anything until I was a full adult. Like it was really college when I started actually trying things more and I wouldn't pick through a dish with a fork to make sure there, I didn't see any onions in it or anything. Like <laughs> the way that my palate has changed with food I think would have been influenced earlier if I had been around a whole lot more food from, yeah, from different backgrounds. Right. But yeah, uh, I mean, Charles, what about you? Yeah, I'm looking at this more like uh, who I am, not what I've done, you know, because I similarly, I love my life and I wouldn't change mm -hmm. anything about it. But if I was looking at it as like sort of an alternate universe, Charles, an easy way for me to look at that or to frame that and particularly being the person that authored this question, I had to think about it as I posed it. Uh, often when I'm visiting Lebanon, where most of my family's from and where both my parents were born, in the small town in the mountains in which they were raised, it's called Tula. So when I'm in Tula, Batroun, Lebanon, and I'm walking down the streets or I'm in my aunt's house, I sometimes look around and I wonder, what if my parents hadn't escaped the war and yeah. ventured eventually to Minneapolis, Minnesota? What would my life be like if I was born and raised here? It would be very different. I would be an entirely different human being. I would speak differently, behave differently. I would have different likes and dislikes. Well, to I, be real, with the amount of people that died in the war, I mean, are you even here? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no. Well, if, if you want to really, let's, let's fantasize about it, because if we think okay. about this, like, biologically, sorry, 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 sorry. of course, it wouldn't even be me. Yeah. Like, the way that, you know, the load my dad busted would have been a totally different one. Like, so if we really wanted to get into it, it would have been totally different. Sure. It would not be me. I sure. wouldn't be the one that was there. But if you want to fantasize about it and think of me being raised in that town, what my life as a conscious living human being that has visited there, I, it would just be so different. And it's, it's fascinating to think about. I don't, like being who I am now, I wouldn't want to have been raised there. It's just so different. It's entirely different. But if you want to look at the other side of the coin, when I'm traveling in New York and I see uh, when you're walking through the city and you see a pile of kids eating Indian food on a step and one's holding a skateboard, the other's holding a guitar, the other one's playing on their phone. Like I look at that and I think, oh, man, yeah. uh, when I was a teenager, I feel like I would have fit in on the step of this 
museum better than I feel like, especially now, I feel like I really fit in ultimately in the place that I grew up or the place that I went to high school totally. or what have you. So I, there's a, the part of me that, so there's a part of me that wonders what life would have been like if I was actually raised in Lebanon and my parents never left. And there's a part of me that wonders if I had been in an environment like that, like how different I would be or what my life would be like based on that different ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And so I think if I had to actually choose, I probably would pick like Lower East Side, New York City. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it seems like in an alternate universe, it would have been a great place to, to grow up. But for the record, love it here. Love my life. Love yeah. my upbringing. Love Northeast Minneapolis. Wouldn't change a fucking thing about about my life to this point. Fuck yeah. That change Fuck yeah. Your, does that change your perspective in any way, Peter? Or is um, it... Not really. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't change my perspective. Mm -hmm. Because I, it, I think that... I can't imagine an alternate universe. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like... Yeah, I mean that's. that's I've lived. A great a, I've thing lived too. a lot of places, and I and I've experienced a lot of different cultures. Uh, I was born in Detroit. I left Detroit when I was nine. I moved here. I left here when I was seventeen. I moved to Boston. I came back from Boston when I was thirty, and in that time, I kind of lived everywhere. And not that I've seen it and done that. That's not what I'm trying to get at. I'm more getting at. Along that path, like, I met my wife. Yeah. That was not here. That was there. It was elsewhere. You know what I mean? So, like, kind of as I moved through the chapters of my life and where I lived, different things became my reality. Um, the experiences that I had as a child moving from Detroit to here, would I be the person I am today without those experiences? How would they Certainly be of different? Not. How would those have been different in a different geography? I'm yeah. a learning disabled kid, so I went through five high schools in four years here in Minneapolis, St. Paul area. And in that process, I learned a lot about who I am as a human being. Would I have done that if I grew up in Long Beach? Yeah. You know, probably because the educational system wasn't far off on a national level for the acceptable learning window to be a, a fixed in a place where someone like myself, learning disabled, ADHD, dyslexia, dysgraphia, all these things, I was so outside of the norm that I probably would have had a very similar experience, but with just different view. So I don't know. I guess geography, I'm excited. I love the, the places that I've been and what I've learned. Um, I don't think I would have wanted to grow up anywhere else. It's, so I, I like that it's like, an, for you know, we all answer this in a different way. And for you, as an affirmation. You're like, I think I was exactly where I needed to be. And I can't imagine having been anywhere else. And I, I love that. Why not? I wouldn't want to change it. I wouldn't have Carter. I wouldn't have Olivia and my kids. Oh, for sure. I wouldn't be married to Jackie. Yeah, absolutely. Like if I, unless I lived outside of Philadelphia for a year and chased her down. And, you know, it's just, there's all these different moments in life where we make specific decisions. Now, I'm also Absolutely. excited about the life I've lived because I'm hopeful as the next few chapters of my life are written, I'll have options on where I can live. And I'm a, I, I like you, I love mountains. Mm -hmm. Everything you said totally resonates. Um, 
So, you so know, perhaps alternately, as opposed to where you began, it could be where you end up. Yeah. Well, that, that's it. Actually, what you said just, just triggered it with me is that, so um, I, I got divorced and I moved away from Minneapolis because this didn't feel like home anymore. I just felt like I didn't see any of the colors or any of the lights anymore. I just saw black and white and I, it didn't matter what I did for a living. I just didn't like being here anymore. And I left and I came back a year later and from the day I got home to the day that I met my wife uh, was a little bit over a month. And she made it feel like home again. She colored everything again. And now where it is, is it's wherever she is and wherever my dog is and wherever our cat is. That collectively becomes home. So then what, it, it no longer became a physical spot for me. It was just wherever my wife is, that's where I want to be. Yeah. And that was, that, was, that was a huge shift in my life. And it's been really gratifying to find that because then I know I'll always have a fondness for here and maybe we stay here. But if we go somewhere else, that'll also still feel like home mm -hmm. because I found, I kind of found my person and that became what the definition of home changed for me. Yeah. So where I love the idea of feeling insignificant in the grand sense to the world, I love the fact that the only person truly who's, who I hope cares about my significance, wherever she is, is where I, where I am. Yeah. So we're good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know we perceive these topics in different ways. I didn't mean like, let's wipe out our universes. Yeah. I meant like, if it were, if it just happened. Real if, quick, three if, married guys. What would you it, do differently with your so life to happened, not end up here? Right. Yeah. Yep. I, I also love my wife. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I do think it's interesting, though, and maybe to take a step further, and yeah. maybe it's <laughs> the THC drinks that are making me uh, more heady, but... I think it's a really interesting question if you look at our backgrounds, how we answered. I mean, sure. Absolutely. From a place of privilege born in the United States and 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 having, you know, no big question about where my parents came from and where my grandparents came from and having not been so new to the United States, um it didn't matter where I was. Yep. Born, whether it was Detroit or Memphis or, sure, you know, the middle of nowhere, New Jersey, like my life wouldn't have been v very different mm. in different spaces. I may have met different people. I probably wouldn't be sitting and having this podcast. Mm -hmm. My wife probably wouldn't be named Jackie. But for the most part, how I grew up, what I went through with the educational system would have been pretty much the same because um, I'm a white guy in America. I fit in. Pretty much everywhere. Yep. 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 Um, so I just think we have different backgrounds, it's part Charles. Of, yeah, part of something that is a consideration for me as well. Uh, and also, you know, both my parents, it wasn't long after they moved to the U.S. that I was conceived. My older brother, obviously, was conceived two years prior to me. But just knowing that that could have been a reality for me if things had been just like this much different. Yeah. Yeah. They're, the only, they're the only ones among their siblings who left. All their, the rest of their, all their siblings stayed and are all living for the most part, in Tula, in that small town. Wow. So it is something that, yeah, it, it, it does come across my mind when I'm walking the, the dirt roads in, in Tula. Like, wow, I could have, if things went just slightly different, and, you know, again, it might not have been actually me, but what if I were raised in this small town in the mountains in Lebanon? That's, like, God, 
I keep like it just keeps running through my head like the point that you guys just made, like thinking about. I, there was never a question about you know if my mom cared about me. There was never a question of like if she thought that I should keep going to school and really focus on that. You know, like it was she was she was a cheerleader for me the whole time. So my the my reading of that question was like, is there another place that you would have liked to look at? Because yeah. I have enough privilege that the rest of my needs were met. It's just, would you want to have looked at something that, like, I literally didn't even think about it any deeper than that. Mm. Is there some place that you would have liked to have looked at more when you lived? And that, it, again, it's just a reflection of, of the, the privilege that we were given yeah. growing up in, in the, especially in the Midwest of the USA. That's, shit, that got deep. Sorry. Hot damn. In a good way. Shall we cheers? Yeah, do you need a, do you need a thing? I do need a beaver rage. Which do you want to go cocktail? Do you want to go? Yeah, we've got a beautiful Nebbiolo I brought as well. Oh fuck, I forgot about damn. It's still there. Open it too. Did you? No, I haven't opened it. Oh okay. Well, I was gonna say if you open it, I'm gonna drink some. But if not, I'll open it right now. Then I would. Heaven's sakes! The only reason you bring wine is to open it. I'm gonna do Malort right now, and then perhaps you're gonna chase it with a little Nebbiolo. I hear that's really popular in Chicago. Wait, what's what's the appropriate order for chasing that? Turpentine? Well, Which I think came first, the Nebbiolo or I the mean, Malort? Yeah, you start with something easy on the palate, like Chicago's own Malort, yeah. and then you go with something a little bit more challenging, like a Nebbiolo. How many people have you ever met that would turn down your Nebbiolo for a Malort? No, 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 I'm going to drink Malort instead. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody I know. Yeah. I will, uh, as soon as I'm done with, with this, uh, this tart lime plift, I will absolutely... Jump in on some of that Nebbiolo, though. That sounds fantastic. That was pretty fun at Iron Bartender, though, when they selected the secret ingredient of Malort for one of the rounds um, in honor of me. Mm-hmm. And pretty much everybody got the, like, uh, Mr. Yuck face in the entire building. <laughs> and I had to admit on the mic that I love it. And then Kara, one of the other judges, could not stop talking about how much she reviles it. So we were, like, counterbalancing one another. Like, yes, well, I actually earnestly love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was amazing. I, I will complete my trifecta this upcoming weekend with three motherfucking moment of silences for this motherfucking Malort break. And it's my favorite thing. Yes. Something that we had not discussed previously as friends that we were, I think the, because Charles, do you have any friends that also like it? That like Malort? Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of friends that purport to like it, but I don't know if they're just doing it. Right for funsies, they don't want to make it feel <laughs> like bad. we accidentally. We yeah, or accidentally... if they're like, it's hey, it's fun to like Malort, but I actually enjoy it. I don't. I'm not trying to be ironic. I do enjoy no. it. Neither one of us are, and I think that's so funny that Nate. I mean, Nate loves it. That's true. Uh, I think Jeb's. Well, no, I don't know. I have some friends. Would you say who, he's open to it? I have friends who tolerate it, but Nate loves it because Nate also likes, yep. you know, our mutual friend. Yep. All of us here, Nathan Beck, does love the Malort. Love you and your quality wiener. It's a photo op if I've ever seen one. Get it. Oh, is it me? I think it's me. Is it? Could be. Uh, yeah. All right, it is me. Uh, oh, should we wait and cheers here? Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, <laughs> Charles, do you... Uh, Stupid-ass photo real quick. <laughs> I feel like I should I do... I should do a Malort with you. Oh. We Lordy, should do that. Lordy, Carol's 40. Yep. Shout out to, uh, if you haven't listened to this episode and you're curious about Malort at all, mm-hmm. uh, if you go back and listen to our conversation with uh, the owner, CEO, and head drinker of CH Distilling, mm-hmm. that, was, uh, that was one of my favorite strangers who turned into a friend. What a uh, wonderful episode. 
watching watching his face as we were explaining to him the pros and cons or the pros there were no cons the pros of drinking Malort on the rocks and then having him literally yeah. say like I've never done that and he did it in front of us yeah it's first time he ever experienced it and he actually was fascinated about what <laughs> happened to it uh, can we get bumper stickers that say keep Malort cheap kind of like keep, oh my god uh, yes keep Austin yes what's the Austin one keep Austin weird yeah keep St Paul Malort boring cheap. So, yeah I don't want anyone drinking Malort mm-hmm. So that it stays cheap. Fuck out of here. We need to back off, back off Malort, back off Mezcal. It's reverse psychology is what's happening. Damn it. I mean, Malort's great. Everyone enjoy some, please. That's the best. It'll be the hottest new thing next year. Uh, You missed the train. It's not cool. They're about to go all monkish on us and be like, we're not, we're not, it's going to be allocated. Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. They're going to chartreuse us. <laughs> I love the idea of there being like a Malort deficiency. Did, Did I say chartreuse? Chartreuse. The fuck is chartreuse? It's the chart of roots. They're gonna chartreuse us and allocate Malort. But is it? Wait. But with a chartreuse incident, isn't yeah. it just green? Incident. I don't know. They didn't specify. So I, I read have, the letter. I've seen yellow everywhere, but I have not seen green anywhere. And so now I'm trying oh. to figure out, is it just because nobody buys yellow? No, I think green was already, there was already a shortage of green, which I think brought about their letter, their M&M letter. And I'm trying to figure out, yeah, that's a good question, whether it's across the line or whether it's, they're t- I think they're talking about everything because they were talking about environmental impact and stuff. And they were saying like, we're, we don't really want to necessarily increase production to meet demand. We want to. They didn't say they want to slow down, but they said that they're going to start allocating so that they don't have to increase production. I, I couldn't derive from the message whether they were saying they're going to maintain existing production or if they're going to lessen. Sure. And maybe I didn't read it closely enough. Well, because what is it, like 37 ingredients go into chartreuse and like each monk knows like a dozen or a little bit more oh, really? and then they have to okay. all get together. It's, it's a crazy story. If anybody wants to go down a rabbit hole, there's a bunch of articles about it. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, we, we had a, a former twin cities resident. Also, chartreuse is terrible. Don't buy any. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't buy it at all. It's, it's totally disgusting. Um, we had a, a former bartender in the twin cities who moved out to the Denver area and has been out there for a long time. Chad Larson, who uh, also had a side photography business and actually talked his way into the monastery to uh, walk around and take take pictures of where they make chartreuse, and if I remember right, it's it's the number of ingredients is like in the 30s, and nobody knows the full recipe. There have to be multiple people alive at all times to know, so they can put in their own things, so that it can never be given away. But hey, I'm down for it. I'm gonna like it. All right, we got some Nebbiolo coming into the glasses. Look at that garnet ruby color. What a beautiful pour. One of my favorite wines to drink with pizza. Oh, hell yeah. That's so good. Oh, that's so good. You know, you know a glass of wine is good when you take a sip and the tannins dry out your tongue for one second and then your mouth starts watering to just fill it all back in. Like, I just got... Episode two in a row of uh, <laughs> straight up going. Sorry, Charles just texted me. Uh, <clears throat> I I completely lost my train of thought. We're not going to talk about what he just texted me. <coughs> um, all right. Well, before he gets back, 
We had a we had a perfect dual bathroom moment there. Uh, I would love to know. We are all in this room now, uh, owners of small businesses, and uh, one of the things that I've been lucky enough to do over the years is open a number of businesses with other people's money. I uh, I was a paid uh, consultant who went around the country opening bars for a group of investors, and wow. I think I got to learn a lot of stuff without really having any of the mistakes, aside from the fact that I, if I had really messed up, I could have been fired. I got, to, I got to learn on the job kind of like through practice. You know, I, I just kept practicing, kept practicing, kept practicing, and I think that kind of got me ready for, for where we're at, but it's still absolutely frightening and crazy, and you feel like you're walking without a net sometimes. My question would be, is there something that you've learned in this process that you wish somebody had told you to do, somebody who told you not to do, something that you wish you had been told before you got into it that would have helped, that maybe somebody out there who's thinking about starting a business, who's thinking about opening a restaurant, who's thinking about getting into pizza, whatever it may be, uh, something that you could maybe pass on that could help somebody else out that you wish you would have known. That's a great question. I think... um in starting a business, you look to many people as mentors to give you guidance, suggestions, thoughts, opinions, mm. uh, etc. Um, the one thing I wish I would have heard more of, or at least listened to, if anyone did tell me, was to trust my gut. Ooh, I love that. Yep. Um, I think it took me way too long to simply say, hey, you know, this is a good idea, and I believe in it. Because mm -hmm. there's nobody else on the hook more than you when you start a thing. There's nobody else's. No one's risking more than you are yeah. if, you're, if you're the person behind it all. Um, and making others happy in that equation, I think there's a balance, of course, putting a product out that your consumer wants and is delicious is obviously key. So you, everyone needs to like it. You can't just make food you like. Um, so... But trusting your gut, leaning into your beliefs. And I think I would say as I've gotten older and, and, and reflected on this idea, it starts with not just trusting your gut, but filtering yourself to some extent. Sure. Right? Because you can't be like, oh, I want to do this crazy thing and I'm going to trust my gut because it's a good idea and... It, it, if I can't fly, then I'll just, I'll break all my legs. You know, like, <laughs> it, unfortunately, you, you need to have some logic and some rational mm -hmm. thought and really kind of have a keener understanding of who you are as a person. Sure. Um, but trusting your gut, that's always my standard response. If I could know anything or wish I would have known something more or was familiar with a different idea or could have had a better chance to learn about myself, it, it would have been to trust my gut. I would that's have tried trusting my gut better. I love that. And now, now is an exciting time because I think what I wish I would have done earlier is probably engage a company like Salt and Row at Allison Arts and spend the time to really investigate my brain and how am I wired. What's the story I'm telling myself every day that echoes and how do I make conscious decisions to create a future that I'll be proud of no matter what. Hell yeah. Is it, I, I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember the, the math. Is it 11, 11 years? 
How long is so it? tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow's tomorrow. eleven years. Uh, happy anniversary! Thank obviously. you. And Charles Patmos is how fourteen? Fifteen years. Fifteen. Um, I mean, obviously, you guys have a lot longer time logged in this. Like, do you? I mean, do you feel the same way? Would it have been to to trust yourself more? You've always the longest the the time that I've known you. I've actually always kind of admired the fact that you seem to already trust your gut. But was that a learned mm-hmm. skill through opening this? Your company? I feel like that's one of the only things I knew for certain when I began Patmos brick and mortar 15 years ago in Northeast Minneapolis is to trust my God. And that's what made me start it because I started it in the economic downturn when all the studios around Northeast Minneapolis were closing and I made a calculated decision to um, be the only blooming rose when all the others were dying. Uh, Was that maybe not a savvy business decision at the time sure but you know the biggest risks have the biggest rewards um i think that it's important in business to admit the things that you don't know and it's often a lesson that uh i have to impart to our partners on like the consultation side as well as with like marketing and creative let people like let the pros do their jobs let people who specialize in particular facets of your business specialize in those particular facets i still struggle with it at times because they're you know i'm a bit of a control freak and when things need to get done i do them and is, is it possible that at times there are people who are better suited that deserve to be paid to do certain things that you know the the hat on a hat on a hat scenario that we often talk about um, yeah, so I'm still learning 15 years into the business, but um, not just for my business, but if I'm imparting, imparting knowledge to other business owners, I would say, like, uh, let the specialists specialize. Like, people are good at what they do for a reason. I think, Peter, you were saying that a little bit with, like, the Salt and Row mm-hmm. scenario that, like, wow, they, they're able to impart, like, all of these great kernels of knowledge um, that you may not have otherwise gleaned had they not become a part of your processes it's super, super important. And existing in the space that I exist in with food and beverage and over like the last decade, it's been primarily breweries, even though it's not quite as many, not as quite, quite as heavy on breweries now as it has been over, you know, probably the last seven, eight years. Um, just like pounding that message that, you know, sometimes you need to um, relinquish a little bit of control to enable somebody that understands how a particular machination of the world that you persist in operates. And if you're able to do that, if you're able to like just take your hands off the wheel, it is probably going to result in a faster solution and a better solution. So I think, I think that's something that everyone needs to understand. And yeah, when you start a business, sometimes you almost only have your gut to rely upon because you don't, always know exactly what to do. We don't learn when you start a business, you don't learn everything about how to, how to balance your books or how much to charge or what your margins should be or what your waste is, or, you know, like how much product to order. Like there are so many elements that you have to learn on the job because if anyone is in the position that you once were in, they're probably going to be a little tight fisted with that knowledge. Uh, I have a a friend we were talking about earlier. Um, Well, I won't, I won't name him because I wouldn't know if he wants us to be known, but he hired a coach for his line of work because he's new to it. Yep. 
and he had to pony up to get answers based on the experience in the field that he's in that you would only learn through trial and error. In any field you're in, that is the case where there, people are tight-fisted with knowledge and unless you pony up, there are things you can't learn unless you experience them yourself. And if someone offers up knowledge or you hire somebody to assist you, like a consultant or marketing company or like someone who helps you with like the service component, someone who's helping you to soundproof, like give up the wheel, let them do what you paid them to do and you're going to end up with a, with a more positive final result. I would say that's a, a really important lesson to learn. And the earlier you learn it, the, the easier you, the struggle will be. I feel that I'm in the middle of that right now. Yeah. I, um, I think the thing that I've come back to that I've, I've learned over the years is similar in vain to what you were both saying. But um, my thing was because I can be influenced. My thing was never listen to the loudest voice in the room or the first person to shout. Uh, you could take in what they say and maybe factor it into what you're doing, but whether it's literally somebody talking to you or through social media or whatever, it's really easy to get swayed by a loud voice that comes at you right away. But you have to just understand that maybe that's just them with their same bullshit. Like whatever you feel inside, that should be the thing that you really believe in. And you can't, if the very first person tells you, Oh, I don't know about that. And then you start questioning yourself. That's an issue. My problem was that for a long time I was flying by the seat of my pants and I really didn't know what I was doing. I just know that I had a string of decent successes. So anytime somebody told me I was wrong, I was like, well, they're probably right because I don't know what I'm doing. Turns out most people have no fucking idea what they're doing. We're just hoping it works out and we're doing the best that we can. Amen. And I love that. And really taking that in has been great. And then Charles going off of something that you just said, my thing, the the best thing, and honestly, once again, surprisingly, it started with my wife, is form a relationship with people that are good. They overlap with you, but they're good at different things. Mm-hmm. And sure, like I, I got a little bit emotional today talking. How you build your Voltron, right? Yeah, exactly. You build your Voltron. Like, look, we, we can't all be the, the, the green right arm. We all have to play different parts if this thing is going to be the uh, sword swipe killer at the end of the episode that kills the, the big boss man. That's, that's it for me is like, the I thought officer pro wrestler. Yes. Yes. <laughs> From Macon County, Georgia. Uh, my, my thing was I, I spent my twenties when I got into opening businesses, aligning myself with people that reminded me of me, because if there were a bunch of us, then we could all see it from the same vision. A, that never happens. No. But B, that leaves a great deficit in the things that we're not good at. Because <laughs> right. no one's looking at that or yeah. doing anything with that. And the last I, thing I need is more of me yeah, exactly. in my company. Yeah. I would, I would I like barely, none of I, I should probably just leave yeah. half the time. <laughs> I, I look around at, at my partners in this right now, and I love the fact that we do overlap on some stuff. There's some stuff where we work really well together, but there's also stuff where I look at them and I'm like, I'm so glad you can do that because that's not in my skill set. And they've said the same thing back. And the more that you build that up, the stronger that entire structure is because instead of all of us leaning on one pillar, 
we're all leaning on each other. And if you look at any architecture going back thousands of years, those are the structures that always last the longest, mm -hmm. where all the stones are using each other to, to bear the weight. And that is something that I really did not understand until I sat down and realized how much of a change my partner Jenny had made in my life. Like looking around at all the things that I was good at, that was just shit that didn't get done. And now those are things that she's really good at and I cover for her on stuff. And once I saw that that's how it works, it changed the way that I looked at the makeup of, of jobs. Even jobs where I was just middle of the road, middle management, whatever. If I didn't see a team that stacked up like that, that probably wasn't going to be a spot for me. And I'd give anything to go back in time and tell myself at 20 or 21 that because we experienced a lot of failure and I learned stuff from it. I also would say, don't be afraid to fail because right. holy shit, most of the knowledge I have is from failing at shit and trying to figure out why. Fail and fail fast. But boy, we set ourselves up. We front loaded it. You know, when you want to talk about it in a video game, we just went in with like four of the same style character. There was no healer. There was no yeah. mage. Never was like, if you look at five Ninja Turtle foot soldiers on one side and the Avengers on the other right. side, you know. You never like, I think the foot soldiers just go to win. Yeah, they're due. They're, all the same. they're due. Yeah. Or like a bank heist team, right? Yeah. If you got five getaway drivers, they're all just sitting in the cars outside. That's, I actually, <laughs> I, I was going to say this, and then I didn't know if it would make sense, but I literally said it's the, it's the heist mentality. You got to get one of all of these different Did I people. You? Did I snipe you? No, I, I, I passed on saying that, but now that you brought it up, it's okay. true. You have to get one of everybody that yeah. can all work together mm -hmm. because that's how you create something beautiful. Like, I have a skill set that I have grown into being able to say I am very proud of, but that skill set is not all the... It's not all the crayons in the box. No. I got this section real good. The rest of them, there's a couple left. One of them's broken. The sharpener doesn't work. That's where everybody else comes in. And then we, we form something better than any of us singularly together. Yeah. And that's, I, I don't know. I mean, all the team sports I played, somehow that lesson was lost on me when it comes to business. I understand it for athletics, but that was that was incredible. I feel like you unified our points too, because a part of that is having to trust your gut, and a part of it is like knowing what you don't know is important. Mm -hmm. So, so that is more important to know what you don't know than what you do know. TLDR, TLDL, yeah, same, same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now I guess in the heist team, I'd be the sniper because I keep sniping you. I, there, that's just there's always no sniper been. on the heist team, by the way. I just that's for <laughs> behind the scenes to our listeners out there. When I'm writing my questions, the last thing I think before I hit send is which one of these is he going to snipe the fastest? Yeah, right. I, I honestly think about it because it yeah. happens at least once per show, and wow. it's great. But it also it just shows, hey, Let's we're say, kind of on similar wings. Like we gotta we gotta break this party. When, up. when did you write the questions? Uh, yesterday, today. Yeah. yeah, we finalized. We usually finalize day of, and sometimes we have candidates and we pare it down, and sometimes uh, we just put our heads together um, day of. Usually it comes together in the morning of the day of the recording. He's also really great at remembering everything that we've ever talked about or asked, and oh. I don't remember what we talked about the minute we leave here. Yeah. So there's also like, he'll be like, mm, you asked that two weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, that's probably why I was on my mind. Anyway, next question. <laughs> then we got to think up some more. We've only asked like 430 questions. Yeah. That's, that's kind of wild. That's it. <laughs> Child's play. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I almost like I haven't gone back and listened to some of the early episodes. I almost like shrink away at the idea of like what were we even asking when we got going? Because I think I don't know. I feel like we get a little little deeper these days. Shallow and deep, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. 
I know that sounds weird, and it's supposed is to that be. A, is that the name of our tag team? <laughs> Shallow and Deep? <laughs> My God. Which one's which? You tell me. <laughs> they get to decide. It's a they, mystery. Yeah, that's it. It's a total mystery. Yep. Neither just, one is Hootie, and neither one is Blowfish. Next question. We strike the big boss man with a sword at the end. <laughs> yes. No matter what, we come together like Voltron. We play the song. And we we kill the big boss man. <laughs> oh, God, the sound of that sword made me so happy as a kid. Oh, best. I used to ask people, how would you spell that sound? And holy fuck, when we first got into texting, that was the best thing ever to see mm. like what letters people would there put There was together. no sort emoji. Correct. You couldn't just do that. <laughs> All right. Oh, is it me again? Let's cheers, though. Let's yeah. cheers. Cheers. I got the Nebbiola that magically appeared in my glass when I stepped away for a Ta-da. moment. Ta-da. To fart yes. in the hallway. Seriously. Hey, cheers. This yeah, is delicious. And it's God, one of my favorites. It tastes like red wine. It's weird. <laughs> God, this yeah, this is, is so. Laugh. This is your favorite wine. I'd say it's my favorite. Just I love mm. the Nebbiolo grape. Um, this particular uh, wine is one of my favorites. Uh, Libation Project brings it in. Mm-hmm. Um, Piedmont guy selection. Angeline uh, Nebbiolo. It's just it's fights way above its weight class. God, it's so affordable. Good. It's delicious. Uh, it's been on my wine list for the better part of as long as it's been in market. Sure. So. That's spectacular. And is it, is it available by the glass in your restaurant? It is. I may have to have a glass of wine with lunch yeah. tomorrow. All right. So uh, we're bringing it back to pizza one more time. We had um, CJ Porterborn. On uh, who's an incredible coffee roaster slash coffee creative mind, and he talked about uh, what he called the God Cup, the 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 cup of coffee that made him realize that this is what made him want to do that for a living. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know, do you have a, a God pie or a slice that was like this is where I fell in love and this is what I I want to do as a as a business? Um, I sort of okay. So this goes back to, so Red Wagon, uh, pizza in my life dates back to my mom growing up in North Jersey, making Mm. pizzas every Friday night with her sisters and my grandfather and my grandmother. And every Friday they'd make pizzas and they'd watch Howdy Doody on the TV. And that TV is in my restaurant. Above the bar. Is that what that is? It looks like a radio. Yeah. That was my mom's. Holy TV. shit, that's awesome. Wow. It was my grandfather's first television. Shit. Um, so to me, being born in Detroit, making pizzas every Friday night, watching Knight Rider and A-Team. Um, dunham, dunham, dunham. To my kids growing up, it's always a, I think we all have that story of pizza in our lives, uh, whether it was ordering from the local corner shop or, you know, making it at home with mom or grandma. So for us, it was a Friday night tradition. It, that's just what we did. We didn't order pizza. If we did, it was very, very, very rarely. Um, we made it at home. Uh, it wasn't anything extraordinary. It was usually a cheese pizza and for the kids. And then my mom and dad would make a green pepper and onion. And then we would take the third dough ball. My mom would cut it into uh, thirds. And my brothers and I would try to miraculously take this triangular piece of dough and stretch it into a circle, which would never occur. So eventually we would roll it up into a pepperoni roll and take it to school the next day. Um, 
So in 2005, the federal government was tickling the idea of calling pizza vegetable to keep it on the public school menu, and I thought that was crazy. <laughs> my daughter had just been born, and I thought to myself, this is a 16th century peasant food that was meant to replace a plate. You know, implements, yep. implements are luxurious items in the Absolutely. 16th century. You, you didn't offer a, a woman a ring to marry them. In Gaelic times, you would carve a spoon and the intricacies of those carvings were commensurate with the carat weight of a diamond of today's standards, and you'd present it to the whole family as an implement for the household. So let's just say pizza was never supposed to be 850 calories a slice on average when that was the, the, state, the, the average of, of uh, pizza in, in the United States was 850 a slice when they were proposing this vegetable that pizza would become. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was insane. So in an effort to try to make pizza better for you, I tried to understand more about the grain. What kind of grain do we use? Uh, what does it go through? Uh, what, what's in the cheese grate from the grocery store? And what extra stuff are they putting in there? And how much do we need to actually put on a pizza to get across the right flavor profile you're trying to achieve? So I started messing around with this at home and, I, I really fell in love with it, and I really fell in love with investigating all of these things, and this was in 2005. So by the time my kids in kindergarten going to a local Catholic school, um, it came time to pass the hat for the fundraiser every year. And what we would do is in this particular parish is we would throw parties, and our friends would attend the parties and pay X amount of dollars to attend the party, and the money would go to the school. Sure. So my friend Johnny and I would do this pizza beer thing he would buy beers i'd make pizza i'd teach people how to make pizzas and it was just really campbell montague pizza go go was the Mm. party we would throw every year it was his last name my last name but the moment i realized this is something i had to do uh it was largely because of my friend john who standing in my kitchen i had finished a recipe for a pizza i had been working on for quite a while i had Figured out the grating of the cheese being 50-50 provolone to mozzarella, the sausage, the banana peppers, how to cut the soppressata. All of those things I had finished, what is now called the Red Wagon Pizza on our menu. Um, However, the night I finished that pizza as a recipe, Johnny was standing in my kitchen and Johnny looked at me and he said, you know, you need to do this. Like, this, this is how you need to spend your time. Yeah. This is how you need to connect with people. You need to do this. And I, that was the night I made the decision to go for it. Dude, and then, that was your God slice. That was my yeah. God slice. You made your own. And that's like, yeah. usually it would be pretentious to say that your own thing, whether it be coffee or what yeah. have you, was your God slice. But that put you in the seat you're sitting Correct. in in life and tonight. And think that of the, pizza, that's, that's fucking incredible. That's the, tremendous. Yeah, and the amount of time, the amount of work, the amount of trial and error that went into getting it there. That's, that's seven years it took that yeah. to get to and that And you slice. finally got it to the point where it clicked in your brain that this is what I have to do. Like, yeah, that is dude, honestly wow, a beautiful incredible. creation story. Thank you. Like, that's wild. It, it, there's a tragedy to it to some extent, though, I'll say. Um, <clears throat> I say that because that night we called the pizza the Monty. That was what it was called. Yeah. We called it the Monty, named after my friend John Montague. 
Henceforth, from that moment, that's what the pizza was called. And all through opening up at the farmer's market in 2012 and running at the farmer's market for two years before our whole brick and mortar, uh, it was called the Monty. Uh, until I did some consulting for a hotel in St. Paul, and they really wanted me to write the recipe for the Monty, and they wanted me to put it on their menu. And that's when I said, we need to rename this pizza. Sure. So it's funny, my wife Jackie and I were just reflecting on this the other day. We set a meeting with John and went to his home and sat in his dining room and had to explain, the break the news yeah, <laughs> that we right. were changing the name, this is name of you. the pizza because of this opportunity the for it to be more Monty. well known. Well, we would call the full Monty when we'd use raw sausage as opposed to <laughs> cooked sausage ahead of time. That's so great. That's so great. Oh. Yeah. But no, he, he was uh, he was excited for us and uh, and this this predates the restaurant opening by four months, I think it was. Wow. I was I was I had I had Helped open the Doubletree uh, St. Paul. There was a restaurant in there. I forget what it's called now. Um, they had, like, games and such, and I helped source the oven and pick all the small wares out, write the menu, train the staff, and one of the things they wanted was that pizza, but the God Slice for me, which is, I've never heard of this thing, this God Slice, so God it's an cup, interesting... God yep. Slice, God yeah. Burger, yeah. God Beer. I've never, cool. never heard of this. It's and uh, the one that made it feel like it was a spiritual experience to you, and yeah, that yeah. it needed to be a part of your life going forward. Yeah, and it's funny, because the voice in my head is only hearing Charles saying, it's kind of the pretentious way to go. <laughs> no, because, <laughs> no, I, I think ordinarily it, yeah. it could be perceived as such, but you plated it up in a way that it's undeniable that that's the answer. Yeah. It feels if like you that's said anything else, If you would have said anything else, it would have been uh, too much humility because the way that you prefaced that, that is it. Yep. If you yeah. have said, oh, I was, you know, when I had a, a slice at Scars in New York City, and then you just told me that story, I still would be like, I don't know, man. It sounds like that's the one. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's it. All right, you know? okay. Like, you were being too humble. I think that's it. But I think that's what's beautiful about the, the story you just unfolded for us. Nice. Thanks. Well, I mean, to actually make it pretentious, though, like the things that hooked me for speaking in front of a crowd were the first time I heard a crowd cheer to something that I said. Oh, of course. Like that it's, mm-hmm. it's when, it, when it was you that did it, it means more. You're not a passive part yeah. in something else. No. It really does. Like I'm, I gave you a part of me and it went over really well, that's the best feeling ever. Yeah. So I, I, I 100% understand where you were coming from. You can from never that. maximize your potential if you don't believe in yourself yeah. um, as much as you believe in anyone doing anything professionally in your life. You know, you have to believe it. He had to believe in the Monty yeah. that day for any of that shit to happen to you. And then keep believing in it. Like, you had to believe in it a True. lot. can't be a flash of the pad. A lot. No, no. Uh, Charles, as somebody who does not do pizza for a living, but who has oh, sure, just consumed like yeah, yeah, just hundreds, if not thousands pizza. of slices yeah, of pizza. Sure, because we've also, you know, we've, we've, we've God sliced, God cupped a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we grew up eating pizza as Americans. It's something that you eat from a very early age. I'd like to say something 
romantic, like the first time I went to Defara and the old man made me their whatever they call it, the original mm-hmm. with the the basil on it and that whole situation and I think he cut it with scissors if I remember correctly. That's not true. I loved pizza long before then. The reality and it's a stark reality is I fell in love with pizza by winning book club mm-hmm. and going to motherfucking Pizza Hut yeah, yeah. and turning in my card for my personal pan pizza. Yeah. You know, you go to Pizza Hut. When it was a, a sit-down restaurant. Yeah. Re- yeah. Yeah, they had Miss Pac-Man and Tetris. Yep. Maybe that Gallagher red, game if yep, it was really it was dope. Red Cola Cup. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, everything about it. Like, we'd go there after basketball games, and inevitably someone would unscrew the, the red pepper top, and someone would dump red pepper all over their slice. But that experience of that's what I think that unlocked the achievement for me in life of, man, I love pizza. Having to work for it that way, reading a book, even though at the time it was probably not very challenging. (laughs) Reading a book and then being awarded with this card that you could turn in, because I believe that's how it was manifested, right? You got like a little slip. I don't remember exactly. But then you'd go to the Pizza Hut, and it was honestly, transactionally, first time, in my life as a fully formed human being that I got myself a meal. Yeah. And wow. I think for a lot of people for many years, that was the first time you got yourself a meal. No one got it for you. Nope. I read the book. I got the ticket. I handed it to Let's them bring at the it counter. Back. Let's I'm bring telling it back. you. I, I sponsor yeah. that. That is something oh this God. world desperately needs. <laughs> yeah, I think that's something that Pizza Hut desperately yeah, needs. Yeah, also kids reading Hut. books. Well, you yeah, kid, kids reading books <laughs> and kids eating Pizza Hut pizza and feeling that rewarded for yeah. it will but, like stamp that memory into their brain. So the question the is, time. when we were kids, you could eat Pizza Hut pan pizza, and was it better dough and better process, or did we just have an iron gut at age nine? I still go back and forth on that, and I think it has to be both. I think it's both. I think my yeah. palate hadn't yeah. had enough things to understand that maybe there's a better way to do it. Well, mm-hmm. But I also feel like back then, well, there well, was well, a whole well, lot well, more Roll that back. There's a better way to do it. I don't think there's a better way to have pan pizza than in having a Pizza Hut pan pizza circa 86 to 94. Fair enough, yeah. yeah right? With the, they're like, oh, this is really hot. It comes out with a, the, yeah. the vice grip pliers. Uh-huh. And then the first thing you do is touch it and yep. look at your yeah, friends. Like, oh, like, she's it didn't right. burn me. She's right. She's, it's very hot. Karen was right. It didn't burn me. I'm tough. And when we're <laughs> kids, and you know, to refer back to the fact that like we're essentially raised on foods like pizza, Every pizza was great when I was a child. Yeah. Right. Every right. fucking one of them. You know them. it didn't exist? The bougie red wagon did not exist. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't have been eating it when I was a Nobody kid. Nobody cared. You know, when, Heritage grain what? Yeah, Who? Right? So, like, yeah, we have distinguishing. Is that a show on PBS? <laughs> yeah. We have distinguishing tastes now. When I was a kid, every pizza was a great pizza. But the fact that I earned it, that was, like, the first thing that I worked for. The first Heck thing yeah. I ate. I, I ever, I mean, that's not necessarily true, but in a sense, I, I earned this meal mm-hmm. and I paid for it myself and it's set in front of me and they bring it to your table at the time. I was sitting at a table yep. and they brought the pizza over. I just finished my round of Tetris. Yes, I won. I beat the game. And then they set the pizza in front of you and then I dashed down the red pepper and I dashed on the Parmesan Parm. cheese and then you pick up that glorious stable Parm and you just... Munch upon it, and it, there's no more rewarding feeling than that. That's the God slice. 
I mean, it's got to be, it, it can't be shelf stable. That's got to be a, that's, that's got to be a, a, a dietary anticoagulant is what you're eating. Well, the truth be told, Parmesan Reggiano all is shelf stable. That's where yeah. it literally is. No, I meant what's in the, what's in that it. actual <laughs> container though. That's yeah. just, that's flavored yeah. anticoagulant with maybe, maybe some uh, nutritional yeast sprinkled in. <laughs> nutritional <laughs> yeast and sawdust 50-50. Yeah, 50-50. Yeah. <laughs> Much like old gold cigarettes. Oh my God. Um, so it's funny because, um, my answer is similar to yours, Charles. Uh oh, sniped but, you in. But no, no, no. But for the but for the opposite reason. Okay. Um, I uh, I wanted to ask, what was the school that you guys were raising money for? Uh, Carondelet. Okay. So uh, I uh, Christ the King was same. same so same. That, that's why I was asking. So uh, parent teacher conferences. I'm in kindergarten or first grade. My mom goes in for parent-teacher conferences, and my teacher had so many students in her class because this is early 80s, Reagan-era school class size. Like, I mean, this poor woman had like 72 kids in her kindergarten class. Oh she literally didn't know who I was. And my mom's trying to ask questions about like how I'm doing in school, and she's just looking at test scores, and she's like, I mean, he's doing pretty well. Which school? Uh, so it was Armitage. Okay. And so my mom... Poor as can be, barely getting by. My grandmother moves in to help with bills. And they decided that if they pooled their money together, they could afford for me to go to Christ the King. Sure. And at the time, Christ the King did not have a lunch program for students. So everybody had to bring their own bag lunch. And as I referred to earlier, I had a very embarrassing palate as a child. So uh, to this day, I still don't love mayonnaise. I judge you for your... Childlike, but I mean, all should. kids As have a, a very like seriously. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you fit in yeah. at the lunch table. I only eat Cheez Its. It's it's more it's just like, like oh, looking Canadian back bacon? on on what I eat now. It's always just like wow. <laughs> yeah. So so my mom would make she would we white bread was not allowed in our house. So she would take wheat bread, smear of butter, three pieces of turkey, other piece of bread, cut, and then an apple or if I remember right, a baggie full of carrots. That was pretty much my meal, or PB&J. It pretty went good. back and forth. Yeah. One of those two sandwiches, that's it, four days a week. But the fifth day, pizza day. The fifth. was pizza day. The fifth. And it was the F-I-F fifth. <laughs> uh, that was Devani's Pizza. And that was the one time that I got to eat the same food as everybody in the lunchroom. Was Devani's, okay, was Devani's served in the lunchroom? Devani's was served yeah. in the lunchroom. They would show up every day just as lunch hit, and they would bring in this stack of hot pizza. Mm. And we did not have a Devani's that delivered to us. So to me, it was this magical pizza that I had never understood or seen <laughs> where it comes from. Donnie Devani was not present. Donnie Devani, yes. Mr. Devani <laughs> was not around to serve it personally to me. We had Sister Mary Claire and Sister Mary and Sister Claire who were there to serve it for us. And we got Wait, one. Did you have Mary Claire, Sister Mary Claire, and Mary Claire, Mary Claire, and Mary Claire, Mary and Claire were all nuns <laughs> in my high school. Jesus yeah. Christ. And then there was Sister Chris and Senora Reyes. They were dope. Anyway, Sister they would, Christian, yeah. so you would get, a, you would get a, a plastic chip that said good for one milk. And you'd go up and the nun would hand you a milk. Good. And then you would go with your other coupon and you would get your piece of pizza. And it was the only difference was cheese, sausage, or pepperoni. Everybody ate the same thing for that one day. And everybody was just blissed out because everybody, like no parent was super excited about having to send bag lunch with their kid four days a week. Like that didn't happen with most public school kids. It was just us in this private school. Mm -hmm. So 
there wasn't, let's just say, especially in the 80s, there wasn't a lot of effort going into what was going into the, the sandwiches. So <laughs> everybody was like kinder. Everybody was happier. I don't know, wheat bread, butter, and turkey? That sounds like a lot of effort. You know what it does? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll give her credit. I'm just I saying. I need one of those right now. There wasn't, yeah. a ton of, there wasn't a ton of creativity. What kind of butter are we talking? A lot of repetition. Uh, Lando Lakes unsalted. <laughs> There's a lot of repetition, right? Yeah, a lot of repetition. Right. This is my lunch. Right. Basically, for I had one of two options for most of my elementary school. Nothing against what my like mother did. You were like ex You were having Yeah, exactly, sandwich. exactly. <laughs> I all of a sudden started showing, wearing a bandana around my neck. Yeah. Hey. Talking about, you don't know the things I've seen, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But it was like everybody. Yes. You, yes. you could jab it. Jab Okay, me. we know where Peter's been. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just thought of the name Penitentiary Peter, and it made me laugh oh so hard. God. But that probably means something else. I can't use that as the subtitle. No, I definitely can't. No. Uh, but it came. <laughs> Which one was it? That's the applause. That's yeah. the applause. <laughs> But it was it was like because everybody got something special on the same day at mm-hmm. the same time, everyone was just better. We were yeah. all better versions of ourselves, and I wow. started I started associating pizza that with that feeling because nobody wanted to like fuck around. Nobody wanted to like smush somebody else's sandwich because it was this gorgeous piece of pizza, and we only get one shot at this, and so everybody was just like happier. Yeah. And I feel that way. Wow. I, I started associating that with pizza anytime I went out for it. And I still feel that way. Like when pizza comes out, I get like excited because it's like, oh, yeah, hey, yeah. I love this all the time, no matter what. And that stuck with me. And it's funny because like Devani's, I'm sure it's similar recipe. I don't necessarily feel that way. But every now and then I have to go to a Devani's mm. and I have to smell that very specific smell yeah. of their crust, their sauce and their cheese together. And it instantly it's not I don't have to think about it. You. The minute I open the door, I'm back. Like the first Subway sandwich I ever had was a it was a pepperoni hoagie from Devani's. You shoot a loogie out of a straw right at the cashier. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but that was that was it. It it just it taught me that this is uh, this is a little something special. But at the same time, it's something that everybody can have and everyone can agree on. Totally. And I don't know if I can think of another snack or meal from that era that every single one of my friends would shut the fuck up and behave their best behavior yeah. to make sure they didn't miss out on pizza day. <laughs> we were all better kids. We were all polite or more polite when. It was pizza day because everybody wanted to make sure if you screw up and you get detention and you don't get to go to lunch, A, you're hungry, but B, you missed on pizza day. Like if, you got, <laughs> if you got that brown bag lunch, you can just have that on the bus ride home. You'll figure it out. But that was, that was absolutely something, and it just mm. taught me that this is a special food, and you should associate it with, with happiness. Pizza is It's happiness. so funny you say that because while you're telling this story, it's just echoing in my head. The occasions. Then every so often we get a guest at the door that we jokingly talked about it a little earlier with the do do you know who I am kind of mentality. But you get a guest at the door who, you know, they thought they made a reservation or something's not going their way. And they they get upset. Sure. And they get upset and it, and of course we all carry a lot of baggage around with our lives and it manifests and Ways we're not proud of, mm-hmm. I would imagine, yes. later. But sometimes it manifests in screaming at a 15-year-old kid being a host, perhaps, at a Red Wagon Pizza. Well, 
my standing rule is if somebody acts poorly, you come and get me immediately um, so I can help in some way. Yeah. Nine times out of the ten, when the guest is mad at the door and they're yelling at the 15-year-old kid, my response is, man, it's, it's pizza. It's pizza. And the, I know it sucks that this isn't going your way, but, you know, Margaret doesn't deserve to be spoken to this way. Yeah. It's pizza, man. Like, yeah. It'll be all right. Pizza's, yeah. So I have a longstanding joke with my friends from high school that you can't look mad if you're sipping from a straw. Yep. So we, like, we've, I have friends still from high school where we'll, if we take a sip from a straw, we look at each other and try to look mad. You can't do it. Similarly, the food version of that is you cannot look mad while you're eating pizza. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll agree with you on that. Who's mad when they're eating pizza? Yeah. Who's ever taken a bite of pizza and looked pissed off? That's why our open sign says serving happiness. That's what we yeah. do. That's what's up. Absolutely. That's the open sign. We serve happiness. It's also like a tagline and all that other shit. But Absolutely. It was meant to be an open sign. Absolutely. I don't like those fake open signs. that just the nondescript from Costco. Like, bleep, I was like, bleep, we can do something bleep. better than that. Like, what do we do? We serve happiness. Well, turn the light on when we're doing it. Ah, that's fucking great. And still how I feel. 43. All these years later. But yeah, I, I went to Christ the King through seventh grade. So When we started Red Wagon Pizza, one of the jobs I had was to uh, offset the, the, the kindness from the church that allowed me to use their kitchen and their walk-in cooler as a storage area uh, was to lead the kids in prayer five days a week. Wow. And be the parent in the room because the sisters had kind of all moved on and then the teachers couldn't come down and monitor lunch. They didn't have enough staff. Yeah. So, and parents would come in, but they had to have one parent who was like the captain who would always be there no matter what, five days a week. So to offset the use of the walk-in cooler in the prep kitchen, I would lead uh, the kids lunch. That would be a lot more fun because, I'm not afraid of you. And I was very afraid of Sister Mary Claire. <laughs> and I was even more afraid of Sister Mary. Yeah. And they were the ones who led the prayer about kindness. And I'm like, you are the meanest people ever. I told you. <laughs> How are you even talking about that? But like, I just kept my head down. I'm like, if I don't say anything, they won't notice me and I can just move on. Yeah. But yeah, that's, uh, again, just an overlap. When you said that, I was like, oh, I wonder, just given proximity, if that's where it was. Yeah. But yeah, that was, uh, that was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And we should cheers. Toast. Got a little. That's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> cheers, fellas. To pizza. To pizza. And that Nebbiolo. Man, that's good. Yeah, it is. There's some left, man. Finish her off. Do-do-do. Oh, I think you're, uh, you're bringing her home. Yeah, Charles? Is this it? The final question? Is it? The final question. Draw the curtains. Okay. So as we're recording this episode here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, it's about four degrees outside. Peter, if you could transport the three of us anywhere in the world post-production for a meal, where would you transport us? Oh, wow. What a wonderful question. Based on the temperature outside, we'd have to find somewhere colder. Um, doesn't have to be contingent on the temperature necessarily. Okay, well, but, you laid the you groundwork know. there that it's four sure. degrees outside. Sure. So, I mean, yep. I don't want to go colder. I jokingly said, let's find somewhere <laughs> Can you? No, I cannot go colder. Mars? Um, Backside of Mercury. Yeah. 
where are we going to go for a meal? Post production. Backside of Mercury. <laughs> you know, I, um, I'm sure there's better answers. Um, but if we could go anywhere after this podcast and share a meal, there, I'm, in my head, I got two spots in mind. Okay. Both are not warmer, unfortunately. <laughs> That's fine. Um, it's a toss-up. All right. There's no bad weather, only joke? bad clothes. Is that a pizza joke? No, it's not a pizza joke. Okay. But I wish we're better. We're way better <laughs> if there were pizza spots I was thinking about, but they're not. Oh, it don't have to. Um, but it, it, it's a toss-up. So either we head to Durham, New Hampshire, and we go see my friend Chef Bobby Marcotte, who is the chef owner of Hop and Grind, Rise and Grind, and Tuckaway Tavern and Butchery. Mm. He's an OG Triple D grocery games alum oh, wow. who I go way back with. He's sure. a deep, deep homie of mine um, and arguably one of the most creative, innovative, innovative chefs I've ever cooked with and or known. Um, love Bobby to pieces. Or we go to Lardon in Chicago in. and uh, – we hang out with Chef Chris Thompson, who is also uh, a, a longtime homie of mine, who uh, is one of the best salumi guys you've ever met. Like, his capicol is fucking sopressata. You know why I love it, that answer? Because you've told me to go there when we've interfaced about Chicago. I haven't been yet. Oh, dude, you got to go. I'll yeah, go. We should go together. I, I will vouch. It's I'll make incredible. a note. I want to go to Chicago in March, and I'm done. I'm going to make go. a note. Yeah, I'm in. Absolutely. Just, yes, I would love to. Can I come? Yes, of course. <laughs> All the cool reservations open tomorrow. I'm I'm looking at potentially doing like a March getaway. Mm. Take four days, five days. Nice. You know, Chicago. But of course, join me if you can. I would love to go there. Yeah. And that, that just like rung a bell. I was like, Peter has told me this before. Go to Lourdes. Yeah. We've, I remember one time you were in Chicago and one time I was in Chicago and it was like, go here, go here. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's, I love that city. It's such a gem. And from a food perspective, and I'm going to say something a bit maybe taboo, I, I feel that it's a better food city than New York. I would agree with you. Chicago is a spectacular food city. I have more places in Chicago that I have to go to and eat when I'm there than I do in New York. Yeah. And I'm sure there's spots, of, obviously there's plenty of spots in New York that I haven't found yet. But whether it's familiarity or not, I have... I have more places in Chicago that I dream about and that I have made specific trips there for yeah. because of that. Chicago is one of those rare cities like New York where it's hard to go wrong mm -hmm. with discovering food. Almost anywhere you stumble into in those two cities, you're probably going to have a pretty good meal on an average that is higher than most other cities. You're going to have a pretty good time. I will say this. I do think that one of the reasons that New York's a little bit more difficult for me from a food city is that you need to be a little bit more, um, I guess, okay with the sketchy. Mm. I don't know if okay. that makes sense. Yeah. But, sure. like, to just walk into a spot based on a recommendation 
regardless of what it looks like, and just know I'm going to sit down and order this one thing. Yeah, that's there's, true. There's a that's great- actually a bone of contention between the two of us because I will walk into any sketchy establishment just in the hopes of a story, yeah. and whether it's well, the greatest thing ever or the worst thing ever, I love that, and sometimes I want that more mm-hmm. than a great meal, sure. but a lot of times it results in a great meal. I think the distinction is if it's on recommendation. Correct. If someone... Tells me, I'll go into this place. It seems sketchy. I'll go with my nose. I will do it 100 out of 100 times if it's someone that I'm willing to, like, respect their mm-hmm. their yeah. recommendation. When I've been in New York and gone to, like, all the spots you're supposed to go to, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, I'm not going to list any, but sure. the spots we all know, we're supposed to go here. You're supposed yes. to go there. If you're in New York and you don't hit this, what are you thinking? The times I've been in New York and I throw that away... I've leaned on this app. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's it's really big in New York. It's called Ate It. It's ah. the number eight IT. Mm-hmm. I think you say Belly because that's also a prolific New York based app. Okay, Got so it. tell me tell me about this app. I don't. So Ate It is you use it's eight the number eight. Oh, shit, you told me about this. IT. Yep. You told me about this. And okay. it's a you basically wherever you're standing, whatever intersection you're in, and you want dim sum, you click it. And it'll tell you within so many feet, it's this place. And then the review comes from someone either notable, recognizable, um, accredited in some fashion. Vetted at least a little bit. Right. It is not Yelp. It is not Google reviews. Is it hierarchical, though? Is there like a bunch of recommendations or is it only those recommendations? No, it's like usually one. Oh, okay. It's so, or, you know, it might be if there's multiple for one spot. For that same dish, maybe. Okay. But it's about the singular dish. Oh, yeah. It's not about, I want Italian food. It's, I want sausage pizza. Give me baked mozzarella. this? Right. Yeah. So it's dish-based. This is New York only. It's mostly in New York. We've got a couple reviews here in the Twin Cities from Carl Ruiz, who's a Flavortown homie Mm -hmm. who passed a few years back. R.I.P. But... There's a there's a few local. It's growing, but it's it's best used in New York right now, in Can my opinion. Downloading it because of the dense pop like population. Sure. Um, you walk out of any building and you're just like, where do I go for, you know, dumplings? And it'll be like, there's here's these ten spots. This is the closest. This is what this person said yeah. about it. Yeah. And it's not this long drawn out review. It's literally eight words. Eight it is eight words to describe your, your dish. That's awesome. I mean, with a photo. The other cool thing is that if, if it's linked to like a delivery app or a gold belly or sure. something like that, it has all that information on the back end as well. It's one of the Incredible. coolest um, food apps out there, in my opinion. It's great when, uh, when social media actually gets used for something positive. I know. I think so too. I, I just hope they can continue to grow it and, figure out a way to really monetize the app because it's full it's free it's not it's great That's also cool. spoken as a, a wonderful business owner to think like i hope they get financial success from this and it's yeah not just just turn into some crowd-based bullshit yeah and it's not a crowd-based bullshit thing yeah. in my opinion at this point but it is something that you know if people get behind it and they want to see it happen for sure know? for sure for sure yeah belly's cool because it's uh, almost like ranked choice and it, it actually exists everywhere, but it's based in New York. So what you do when you utilize the app is it will pick 
uh, two restaurants and it'll ask you, did you like the restaurant that you gave a thumbs up more or less than this one or that one? And it'll end up, instead of you scoring it, it'll rank your um, enjoyment of a restaurant based on your enjoyment of other restaurants. So in effect, from 10 all the way down by 0.1, it will rank things based on which one you said you like more or less, or, or uh, I can't decide, then they're the exact same score. So sort of organically allows you to say how much you enjoyed something without being hypercritical or deciding on a number. It decides the number for you. It's actually, it's, it's kind of clever. Cool. Belly. Uh, B-E-L-I, yeah. Okay. Huge in New York, but it's it's everywhere. Like, I've ranked Minneapolis restaurants on there. And essentially, you say, like, you know, you could peel through it just kind of latently sitting on the couch and say, like, oh, yeah, I've eaten there. You know, I click Red Wagon, and then it says, um, uh, you know, you give it the thumbs up, and then it says, did you like it more or less than this restaurant? So it's more or less or can't decide. Can't decide means equally, in effect. And so it sort of organically makes a determination of like what the score should be for you. And then you can look back and see based on your enjoyment of all the restaurants you've ever been to where it ranks. So it's more like a ranked choice sure. than like a rating. Interesting. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Because then you have to be like, well, I'm going to give this one a 8.13 because the cheese curds were not uh, crispy enough. Just like, Where's like that radio voice been all night? <laughs> I usually do one dumb fuck voice at least. Hello. At least. Also, while you're Googling the app Belly, feel free to Google the uh, Hype Williams movie Belly starring uh, DMX and Nas. They're not movies. They got to leave the podcast. I'm just saying, I'll when do you're do done it. with this, you should go back and watch that. That was a, a terribly amazing movie. And uh, amazing. it exists in a very specific space and time if you look at it. it. It's just a reminder that there was a time where all music videos looked like that. I love that movie. Quam.com, uh, what do we got? Quam.com, yeah. Uh, also, don't go there. When you, yeah, please don't. When you first <laughs> texted me that question. <laughs> Look, Peter just gave me. <laughs> when you first asked that question, um, I thought about, like, the, the first thing that popped into my head was my, my deathbed meal. But honestly, I almost don't want to go with anybody else there because I don't want anybody to tell me that it's lesser than the most amazing deathbed meal. So go to Gian Famous, have the concubine noodles, Dude, have the Famous human limb. Mind blowing. Anyone who thinks Gian Famous is not amazing. I'm just saying, it's not like, gonna be the people in this room. Yeah, I just, I, I was like, mm, no. Sometimes that X one might just I have to be a for me. And by the way, he's yeah. mentioned it before. X I apostrophe A N. Uh, yeah, and there's, uh, they just shuttered a location, but I think they have three or four. They have either three or four. Yeah. New York. Uh, but but really, what it came back to, especially since we've we've talked so much about pizza tonight. Uh, my, my favorite experience in having a pizza was uh, I was in Paris with my ex-wife and we were cutting through an alley trying to find something else. And literally this dude was just out barking in an alley to come into to this restaurant. And he was dressed as a server. And I was like, you know what, dude, this guy's restaurant's empty. It smells great. Like, let's go in. And uh, I'm decent with French. I'm not conversational with French. But I can have like a... a broken French conversation pretty well. And uh, as we were going back and as he was seating us, he told us that he was the owner of the place and also the chef. So he's literally the only employee. And he's like, I just, I want to make this for people and I want to do this. And so I just said, okay, then make me your favorite pizza. And it was um, like uh, oblong 
at best. Like, uh, it wasn't symmetrical in any way. Uh, but the the crust was sort of oval shaped with imperfect imperfections all over it. Uh, a bechamel, um, a mixture of cheeses, uh, and then the most beautifully cured ham, thin sliced and put on top of the cheese so that it crisped up in the same way that like the little satellite dish pepperonis do. You're a beautifully so, cured ham. <laughs> I try. Uh, all of those things are true, both in my salient intake and my. That's, that's the malort hitting. That's yeah. the malort hitting. I think. <laughs> but it was like it was like beautifully brown and crispy all the way around the edge as the the outside kicked, and he literally brought it out of the oven on the the wood plank, and set the plate down and set it on our table, and then pulled an egg out of his server apron. And cracked it over the top, and the pizza was still hot enough that the egg lightly cooked on the top of it. And then he pulled a, a, a pizza a cutter out and hit it into six pieces that were not remotely congruent. And then he, he walked in back. <laughs> oh, this will be a problem if we're all there, because if there's six pieces and they're not in the same... Uh, you got to figure out which one you're going for first. You got to invest. It's called optimal bite ratio. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, the the real key, by the way, is being there with two people and then splitting it in half. Uh, with three people, you got to figure out which pieces do you want the most, and then of those two, give yourself to rank choice which one is the most important to you. Or Get ordering one. more than one if there's yeah. three of us. But um, the fact that no one else came in the restaurant the entire time that we were there, the fact that nobody was, was in the street calling anybody in, yeah, he was cooking a pizza. This was also like <laughs> two o'clock in the afternoon, so not optimum full restaurant time. <laughs> But it was literally in an alley. Like the odds, like we we weren't walking with anyone else. Were down there the more alley. seats? How many yeah. people could he, could he have handled? Uh, it was eight total tables. All right, and uh, most of them were two seats. They had two four seat tables, so it was a pretty wow. small place. But um, that experience of not looking for it, not being prepared for it, and just being like, "I'm going to go with my nose, and we're just going to go in," that was one of the most wonderful experiences that i've ever had what a good I, story. I thanked him over and over and he was like no this is just what i do <laughs> and i'm like yeah but this was incredible because we weren't expecting it and every single aspect of the flavor was on point that crust was perfect i'm sorry did he make a croque madame pizza? basically it was a croque madame Ooh. pizza it was yeah. that's exactly what it was so and we still can't figure out the the, the cheese was there was definitely mozzarella and i feel like provolone mixed in but then there was something that was like a darker, was not a, golden, but like definitely like a uh, light yellow color. Sharper taste. Too. A little bit. And I, I, I could never, again, this was years ago. in France, too. Yeah, knows? yeah. It literally could have been like his friend's farm. But whatever that mixture was, it worked so well with both the bechamel and the egg yolk all mixing in. It just made this this perfectly delectable would have been terrible as soon as it got cold pizza yeah. but luckily we didn't even let it get close to that i think we finished the entire thing in like less than 10 minutes but that was that is a pizza that i will remember for the rest of my life and you know just the 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 four or five inch tall table glasses poured all the way up to the brim with red wine <laughs> there was no label on it there was no he was just pouring it out it was incredible uh, it was a beautiful uh, late spring day, so there was a garage door and then a window, both open. So it's just all of the smells of Paris coming in while There won't be when we go there. I looked it up. It's 46. I'd still take it. 
I'm saying 46 is pretty good. It's mm-hmm. seven degrees in Chicago right now. <laughs> I did I'll, I'll take 46. I might even, literally, I, I would get open the doors. Yeah, you can open, we can the, open doors. the doors. Open the doors. Yeah. But that was, that, that would be, I, I just would love to have that experience with, with you guys. I think it would be so much fun and just laughing. And of course, we probably just would have ordered all the pizzas in the menu and then just continue to hang out there yeah. and drink wine with him because he poured himself a glass with us and then just I'm in. Yeah. Let's get it. All right, Charles, where are we going? Firstly, I want to say you missed your opportunity when you said perfectly brown and crispy. <laughs> A.K.A. my boy, Charles Awad. Secondly, I'm just going to go. This is going to be my shortest answer ever. We're going to Pizza Hut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to Pizza there Hut. There has to be. There still has to be some. There's got to be a Pizza Hut. Is there a sit-down Pizza Hut? Can we find a sit-down Pizza Can Hut? Can we find that? What year? Can we go back in time? Because I wouldn't want to, I don't know if I'd want to sit down at a pizza today. Really stretching credulity there. I don't know if there's like a half decent sit down pizza hut right now in Southern California where the weather's nice and we're just getting personal pan pizzas and the big red cups full of, I don't know, I'd spike it. Spike it. Yeah, probably. It. Is it is does it exist anymore? I don't know. I have no That's idea. That's a great question because I don't know if it's it it like the blast blockbuster. Store? I haven't been inside of a Pizza Hut in eons. So Fuck I it. we're putting it out. We're putting know. it out to the, to the Facebooks. For so for all these brands now, fast cat like the old time mega chain, fast casual, and fast food brands that are retrofying their branding, like Burger King's using a lot of retro branding, which I applaud them for because I think it elicits positive memories in the people that have decided to no longer consume Burger King. Why don't chains like a Pizza Hut in this particular instance build like kind of retrofied Pizza Huts where you sit down at the table and it's got the old shingly roof and the exact shape and dimensions that you remember when you were kids. Why can't they do that as like little pop-up pizza huts? Because I would go to there. <laughs> I would go to there. Like I would, I'd be like, oh man, that reminds me, you know, they could have the Miss Pac-Man and the Tetris and some other classic arcade games in the kind of entryway, which is the one I can distinctly remember every feature of the pizza hut that I used to go to, which I believe was technically St. Anthony like by Apache here in, in Minnesota. Yeah. And I know that doesn't mean anything to many listeners, but I remember it was that building that like sloped roof. Mm-hmm. And then the entryway, when you walked in, there was a little vestibule. And then when you walked through the door with the ring bell, the arcade machines were lined up right in the entryway. And if you walked up another 10 feet, just to your left was the order window. And you walked right up there and you ordered your food and they'd hand you a ticket and you'd go sit down at a table and it was a big dining room. Like lighting, much like we're experiencing currently here in uh, the chambers at Club Caraway, this like light yellow hue, soft lighting. Final tablecloths. Yeah. And it was just booths with no cracks, yeah. just the smooth curve <laughs> so that anybody can easily sweep out all the. Yeah. And they had tables, you know, tables with chairs mm-hmm. and then the booths. And then if you were there on the right day, you could get your Ninja Turtles mixtape. Those were those were the days. Those were the the, the halcyon days, baby. The halcyon days. Those were the days. Oh man, I love the idea of using a halcyon to describe a time where we could get a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mixtape. That makes me very happy. That's the I burnt that's that the tape out. That's I the that tape that's out. the Trash Panda and the Fine Dino coming together. Uh, as <laughs> I'm a well, I'm a Trash Dino 
tonight because I'm pizza hutting this motherfucker. There we go. <laughs> hey, but you know what? We all got to read some good books because I better, I better have to prove how many books I read to get that free pizza. Hey, <laughs> I'm in. We got to bring it back. Yeah. Good news is you don't need to read any books to have some Red Wagon pizza. Also, oh, wow. Yeah. Look at that. But eat some Red Wagon pizza and still read some fucking books, folks. Please, we need to, please keep reading. Mm-hmm. You could read a book at Red Wagon Pizza. Uh, yeah, you could do it at the Ice Bar. Indeed. Did you Did you hear Peter mention the dope ass Ice Bar? Right. And the fire pits they got outside. And, so yeah. nice. So if somebody wants to come down and experience that, uh, what are What are we looking at? We got uh, reservations uh, are suggested for the Ice Bar. Sure. Okay. What it secures you is a, a solo stove, essentially, and a few uh, uh, while they're limited access uh, wool blankets as well. Amazing. Um, we make it nice. We've got the ice. It's pretty fantastic. Look at that. Make it yeah. nice. You got the ice. Get a slice. Yeah. My, uh, my, my Scandinavian blood is buzzing anytime I hear something like that. The, the <laughs> higa and the kushli are just flowing <laughs> over you. I, and I love it. I mentioned it on previous broadcasts, but I loved one of the few good elements to come out of um, the experience we've gone through for the last several years is it encouraged people to spend more time outside. Mm-hmm. And I was always tickled pink when someone would say, hey, let's hang out. And I'd say, let's go drink beer in my yard and three feet of snow. And we'd turn on the yard lights that never come on except for in the spring. And I'd plug them in and our friends would come over and we'd shove our beers into the snow and we'd stand on the yard, drink beers, maybe order some food or make some food in the kitchen. And I think that reawakened that like, primal urge of Minnesotans to spend time outdoors. And I think that maybe that's a part of the element that you're experiencing, Peter, where you're like, wow, I can't believe people want to do this. I think it's, it it reawakened the last several years have reawakened that feeling in people that like, why can't we be outside? We can be outside. Exactly. We might not be a hundred percent comfortable, but are you a hundred percent comfortable when it's 96 degrees with 90%? No, 90% humidity. No, you are absolutely not. And you still make the best of it because you're surrounded by great people, great beverage, excellent food. I want it. I'm coming. Mm -hmm. I'm coming. I got to do it. it, Soon it's, it's going to mount. You know, that's the only the land when it, when it's gone. Okay. I was going to ask. So, (laughs) wow. That's actually, I love, there's something beautiful and romantic about the idea that it's there until it's not, it says (laughs) I'm, I'm out of here. I'm done. It's really cool. It goes frosty. There's no date. It's just like, well, the ice bar departed. Yeah. It's become a (laughs) hassock. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. the ice lump hey, you guys want to hang out at the ice lump <laughs> also we should give shout out to uh to two-time guest eric eastman for mm-hmm. for helping construct that oh yeah the things that 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 they do with ice both in our cocktails tonight and at the ice bar really are amazing it is in the in the difference it's made for me the the cost of the ice bars i mean it's it's been a powerful realization to see the community come out when there's something to do and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's been the best January in the history of my company. Oh, that's love to hear that's that. Delightful. And the, the, uh, Emma and pure clear ice has a broader reach than just Minnesota. Correct. You're in Chicago. Ask your barman. Mm-hmm. Is Emma and pure clear ice? Cause that shit is the best. Did it. They're in Florida. They're, uh, they did a bunch of ice sculptures at Lambo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they did a whole series, every home game. Mm-hmm. They're doing ice sculptures of like Hall of Famers. And, it's uh, incredible. Yeah, all kinds of ice features throughout the Twin Cities. 
And just demand better from your eyes also. No matter where you <laughs> Agreed. are. Guys, uh, so one way you can improve your drink. And while we're demanding for better, uh, Peter, if uh, people aren't in the Minneapolis-St. Paul market and they want to order your pizzas, where can they go to find that? They should go uh, to Gold Belly or go to our Instagram page. Facebook has links to our Gold Belly accounts as well. Beautiful. And uh, we'll add a Gold Belly link on the story of this episode too, Beautiful. just so that people can click that and. And honestly, some pies. we always we always talk about uh, you know drinking along with us as you go. But what better thing to do, whether you're having a beverage or not, get a pizza, eat along with us, hang out, and and have some delicious oh, red wagon pizza end. while we're doing it. Yeah. Re-listen. Yeah. Start at the beginning. Make a pizza. Get that pizza. <laughs> we did talk about pizza a lot. Well, hopefully you were eating any pizza, no matter where it's yeah. from. Because pizza's just the best. Absolutely. Doesn't matter where you get pizza, it. Yeah, pizza Damn is right. happiness, right? Wait, what's the thing on the door? Our place, we say serving happiness. Mm-hmm. Serving happiness. And that's... That door's unlocked. Pizza. They got happiness on, t- on tap. Uh, Charles, anything that, uh, that you want to plug? Plug your pluggables? Nah, son. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I mean this to be... Um, in a happy manner. Uh, this is going to sound weird, but just bear with me on this. Uh, by the time this episode airs, uh, I will have been a pallbearer in my, my uncle's funeral. Oh. And um, I got to say, it was incredible watching his battle with cancer. Uh, cancer sucks, period. Full stop. Yep. But uh, he got diagnosed and was given six months, and he got almost three years. Wow. And seeing him dedicate himself to spending every minute that he could trying to be the best version of himself and uh, being around his grandkids was pretty awe-inspiring and a reminder of what to do while we have the time to do it. And uh, earlier today, I found out that somebody that I've uh, said I love you to uh, for a number of years in my 20s uh, passed away this weekend. And also a reminder on the other side of it that we never know how much time we have and whether it's a close friend or somebody that you just think about every now and then or somebody you, you randomly run into, uh, we never know how much time we have. And when you feel the urge to reach out and say something nice to somebody, uh, no matter how close or how distant you may be, take the time to do it because you'll never regret it. You will never, ever feel bad about saying something to somebody while you had the time to do it. And uh, I try to be the best that I can at it, but I'm not always the best. And uh, today has been a lesson on both sides of that coin. And uh, even if one person hears this and maybe makes a phone call or a text or goes to see somebody, um, I I, I hope that all it does is spread a little bit more love. Because as wonderful and as beautiful as this life can be, uh, it can also be a little tragic and a little bit sad. And walking that balance is something that we all have to do as people. Um, But today especially has been a a really, really strong reminder of uh, the uncertainty of time. So if you have a second, please, please, please just tell somebody you appreciate them. Could be a stranger, could be somebody that you've known your entire life. Uh, Whoever that is, I promise you it will bring more to your life and you will have no idea how much it may bring to theirs. Uh, and so I just want to leave it at that. So it's a good reminder. 
we love you all so much. And have, and a, have we'll, a slice of pizza because yeah. that could be your last slice of pizza. And that's kind of a scary thought as well. Yeah. Have some pizza, shit baby. Got, shit got dark. Yeah, <laughs> what happened? Well, think about like if you if you if you got a question as as things were fading, like what's one more thing you could have done? Eat one more piece of pizza. Absolutely might be on my list. Like if yeah. I knew I have to have one more slice. Of pizza. Have a slice of pizza in that left hand and, and text a homie in your right hand. I'm exactly. Like, That's a great way to do it. Get yourself a pizza that you love and then text a couple people and just tell them that you love them. And on that, uh, I love you all. And I hope you all have a wonderful evening. We'll see you next time.